0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to, wait, what? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the Not-So-Solitary Fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. The dam of Blabbity Blab breaks in episode 220 as Graham McMillan and I spend 2.5 hours jumping on all of the furniture in the House of Ideas. Yes, it's a largely Marvel-focused romp as we look at all-new Wolverine, Amazing Spider-Man number 25... The last six months of both Captain America titles, the classic run on West Coast Avengers by podcast favorite Steve Englehart, the Marvel book that is not a Marvel book, and much, much, very much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast.gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy,
1: and thank you for listening.
0: Jeff Lester!
2: <laughs> Graham
0: <laughs> McMillan! Hello!
1: Hello there, how are you?
0: I'm good, how about yourself?
1: I've literally just run in the room and it's like, Jeff's calling! <laughs> yes!
0: Yes! <laughs> it's so funny, you're normally the super punctual, even a little early one, so I, it, about Oh, the... I, I was.
1: Yeah. I was early. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the dog's barking, that's going to take care of it. That's literally what happened. Oh, of course, like, of course, Graham your, your record's unbesmirched Jeff's gonna call in a minute But I'm sure I can take care of this And I come back and he's like, oh shit, he's calling Well, it's true
0: Normally I'm like, hold on Have to upgrade
1: Skype yeah, sure, Wait a just sec an email and You're like, you know, Skype has to update Yeah, Or, yeah. or something but, but no, this time, literally I ran it And I was like, oh So I even said yes before the microphone was, was down I was like, oh, Jeff, Jeff, I'm here.
2: <laughs>
0: well, well, that is great. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for being able to join us today, Graham. I, it is much appreciated.
1: Wow. I never give you shit for time. I know. And
0: I'm always late. I'm never on time. It's the, it's such a dick move
1: of me, everyone. You just have no idea. It's, I can't. it's because it's such a dick move that you're so happy about it, isn't it? <laughs> Was there something funny? Yeah. What? Yes. So the dog's barking. I was like, i oh, motherfucker. I've got to go and take care of it. I took my headset off and I actually managed to put the microphone in a glass of water. Oh my God, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, no. <laughs> but I- so I, I, guess I'm not, like, you can hear me. I'm not sounding like a mermaid, a mermaid. I've not, like, fucked on my microphone, right? No, no, you sound good. You sound quite good. <laughs> maybe, maybe it cleaned it up. Who knows? There we go. <laughs> we go on to have the best Skype reception ever.
0: Uh, Grant McMillan. So here we are to talk about comics and life. Oh,
1: we've got so much to talk about. We do.
0: So much to talk about. Okay. Death. But before we do, Graham, I wanted to flip the script. And that's, that's exciting. Not not that exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that exciting because it was very much the idea that I thought in, in the past we, you know, we've kind of fallen into this routine where it's, we're talking for pretty much the full two hours and then it's like, Oh shit. What have you read this week? And then we just kind of run down the list. I thought it might be better to sort of start the show. By, with what we've read? with what we've read, yeah, and being able to expand a little bit about it or not.
1: Um depending. It's mean, almost like we're we're acting like a proper comic book podcast. I something.
0: know, I know. It's kinda of gross. I, I, yeah.
1: Okay, Jeff, what have you read lately? Well, let me tell you, Graham,
0: I have read some amazing stuff. I I really had a very strange run where it's like I started reading uh uh well basically I took advantage of some recent sales. And so consequently, um as I as I said on Twitter, if – Graham, if you're right in that everything that I buy at a Marvel BOGO hits Marvel Unlimited in less than six months. Which you, is so far true. Like you saw the Son of Satan showed up recently, yes, right? Yeah, I did. I was like, <laughs> holy shit. I mean I don't think they actually added the pre-Son of Satan issues, the Marvel Spotlight stuff. So it's not like the f- – it's not like full compromise, but it's really substantial. And people, if you've got Marvel Unlimited and you remember me talking about good old Son of Satan, definitely check out the very last issue. It's more or less self-contained. It is Russ Heath just fucking shit up. He is, it's Bill Mantlo script, Russ Heath illustrating it like a motherfucker. If it, it's, it's probably like just an inventory issue, you know, because it is so continuity free but it is the it is just the most biggest best motherfucker of a last issue inventory issue so um, but yeah no so in a couple of months you guys can look forward to getting the rest of the Steve Gerber Daredevil issues because i i picked up the um the trade for that uh you guys can count on getting those uh issues giant size avengers issues issues 3 and 4 Um, you can get, I think they might already have all the Gerber's Defender stuff, but I went and bought it anyway. Cause I was like, I, I'm in, I was in full tilt, crazy ass BOGO mode, but most impressively and excitingly enough for me, I bought the two West Coast Avengers trades, uh, family ties and lost in space time. Oh, Lost in Space Time is the best.
1: Right? So. It's, it, it's, so Family Ties is what? Is that the first trade? Yes, it's the so first. So it's, it's trade. the initial issues that have like the, the Grim Reaper in it and, yeah. and, yeah. Yes, exactly. I think it's like, uh, issues
0: one through maybe eight? Shit. I, I think it's one through seven of West Coast Avengers plus the first two issues of Vision and Scarlet Witch. Um, and, and it's kind of a shame because this is the sort of, uh, I'll dig into them later, but Graham, all I can say is between that and then there was that dread sale, which wasn't even very substantial in savings, like uh, three or four weeks back, but I kind of went batch crazy. The, is that the IDW dread? Uh, no, no, this is the 2000 AD had their, had a dread sale, um, like 10 or 20% off all their dread. Uh, digitally. So imagine how happy I must be, Graham. Imagine my delighted post-comics glow knowing that I've been alternating between reading Steve Englehart's West Coast
1: Avengers and Judge Dredd the Cursed Earth Saga. Like. Oh, wow. You know? that's some great and also slightly out there wacky comics. <laughs> well, we will we will circle back to that. So uh so thinking, Cur- mm-hmm. wait, Curse Earth is that Cursed Earth uncensored? So you yes. have the 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 burger wars and everything in there exactly, as well? Exactly. Exactly. Oh yes. And I was like, oh,
0: this is on sale, it's like I've gotta get it. You know? I mean it's sort of silly in a way, but but oh my god. And weirdly enough, so I you know, I've been reading those and I was like, ah, I got to branch out and read some other stuff. I, I, the other things that I've actually read before that cuz it's been a couple of wh- uh weeks since we've talked comics um include stuff like the first issue of the Once and Future Queen and Flintstones number 9, um this really impressively depressing <laughs> anthology called Abandoned Cars by Tim Lane that I got off Comicsology Unlimited that is brilliant and uh, I've I've
1: never heard of it
0: yeah it's it's black and white comics at their most depressing depressiest at
1: their most black
0: yeah no kidding none more black uh you know I'm a sucker for monthly girls uh nozakai kun uh and there was a new volume of that volume five which was awesome to read and uh Paul Spence dropped me a note and saying like hey you dig Sunken sun Rock and basically if you're looking for manga that is adult oriented and completely tasteless, why don't you try, uh, Murcielago. So I picked up volume one of that, uh, and that's, uh, that's an interesting little book that, um, I think Paul was mostly right. It's, It's basically a lesbian serial killer who is hired by the government to kill off even worse serial killers, which more or less sounds like, in other words, it just sounds like they, this guy like ripped off half of ABC's evening programming slate, but it's so ridiculously over the top. Like the first serial killer that she fight is a wrestler who takes so many steroids. He turns into the incredible Hulk and is more or less just like running down the street, tearing people in half. Um, and then the second one is a serial killer who more or less is created like a super thin fiber that slices people in half. So he takes over a subway train that he's like, that's filled with like desiccated people portions, And then, ironically enough, the third one is, the third episode in this volume, which it does not resolve the storyline, is like a classic Jack Kirby comic book. It's kind of hilarious, because, of course, it's all, like, ultra-violent and, like, really kind of, um, like... uh, it couldn't be more gay, male gazy in its, you know, sort of inappropriate lesbian hijinks, I suppose. But it's basically Marciolago, who it that, which is Spanish for the bat, leave it to Japanese to teach that to an American guy on the California coast. Uh, <laughs> it, it, she and a bunch of other bad dudes to use the president's phrase are assembled to a rich man's mansion for an expensive dinner party and of course the mansion is like just one giant death trap that he's created to to kill off bad people and so they're in the process of trying to get out of the mansion and every step forward is a new death trap and it's it couldn't be more jack kirby if people were kind of pointing their squibby foreshortened fingers directly at the reader and shouting it's kind of it's it, it was kind of a bummer that 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 volume ended uh, in in media uh, slaughtering res uh, killer to be killed number seven. I know we're going to want to talk about certain pages of Amazing Spider-Man number twenty five. Uh and like I said, at between flipping between the Engelheart, which I want to talk about because I adore it so much, and Dread the Cursed Earth, which I'd also like to talk about because I love it so much, I actually was like, okay, I'll pick up some other stuff, and everything was kinda of good. Like Gwenpool issue thirteen, Suicide Squad thirteen, which came out a couple of weeks ago, but I only or a week ago or something, and I only read today and thought it was really good. Even Platinum End, which has been kind of an unfortunate Adventure in post-Bakuman comics by Obata and, uh, Oba, uh, is that issue 17 was, I was like, oh, oh, this is, oh, here we go. Here's a good issue. <laughs> it's, I've only been reading this for, you know, I don't know, seven months and there's finally a good issue. Yay. I mean, th- there's been one other issue I thought was okay. And interestingly enough, this is the issue that really follows up and on that issue in thematically anyway. And I was like, Oh, huh. So it's been, it's been a good little read. I'm shocked that I enjoyed Gwenpool as, as much as I did because it was a Deadpool crossover. And there were parts of that that were just done really well and very clever. I don't know. Gwenpool is interesting to me because it's a classic. um I don't, you know, like, the, the writer, by the time the writer really figures out what he's doing, it's the, the book I'm sure is going to be cancelled. And so there's kind of that classic feeling of, if I was reading this book when I was 13, it would be a lot like reading the comics that I've gone on to revisit where I was like, oh man, there was so much there. And then reread it and be like, oh no, he, he just points at all these places he would love to get to, but clearly doesn't have enough time because he's grinding out issue after issue and, can't really figure out how to advance his subplots and all, but the most, you know, primordially basic ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but still, uh, kind, you know, kind of fun for the, in that regard, I think, um, very surprising. Oh, and I should say, I read the last issue of cave Carson has a cybernetic eye, which really reads like it's going to be the last issue of cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Um, I it's amazing how much that one and uh, did did you read that issue or no No,
1: I am I am at least two issues behind on that.
2: Oh,
0: okay.
1: Well, that one has the classic um That's the one that came out this week, right? I think so. I think it yeah, did. Yeah, so I yeah, I I'm not like I that isn't isn't even in my pile yet.
0: Oh, okay. Well, it does have me be like is there a next issue of this? It sure doesn't seem like it, and it's kind of great because there's like a um there's a little afternote from Gerald Way that's like, yeah, phase one of young animals complete. We're coming back for phase two. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit, we're never going to see phase two of young animal. Like this is such the classic. We're going to be back uttered with
1: such confidence that I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> um, I, I, everything I've heard from DC suggests otherwise, Jeff. I'm glad. And I'm yeah, sure they will. Young, I think they have too much. i yeah. I've. As far as I'm aware, it's like, it's considered a, a big success.
0: Oh, good. I'm really glad. Cause this issue of Cave Carson was a lot of fun. And of course, as, as he is wont to do, Tom Scioli doubles down in his three pages of superpowers. So it's kind well,
1: of. Well, that, that's just it. Like I am uh, much more interested in superpowers than I am in Cave Carson. I, oh, I I've said this before in mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I need to revisit Cave Carson because so many people I know love it. Yeah, love it. I feel like I've got to just binge it and go. I'm... Okay, I'm either going to get this or I'm not. But I have to revisit it because so many people just adore it. Yeah. Well, the,
2: the
0: it it's. I think you will because they've figured out ways to ramp up the crazy. The last couple of issues, especially with um, upping the uh wild dog factor. As they have, I think
1: it's, it is has it's done the series a lot of good. Something I'm fascinated about is someone on Twitter this week was like, "Oh, Green Arrow has just pointed out that Cave Carson is canon." Oh, really? It's universe, <laughs> and I was like, "Really? That that strikes me as unusual, but okay." <laughs> well, that's,
0: that's funny. I mean, so far, I mean, apart from their handling of, of Wild Dog, which is somewhat irreverent, it, it mostly acts like it's taking place
1: in sort of a slightly, um. I, I just assumed all the Young Animal books were essentially in their own universe. Like, don't even take, don't even think there's a Young Animal universe. They're all just like comics taking place in their own thing. Cause like, Doom Patrol definitely doesn't take place in the, the mainstream DC universe. Kind of.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's, there's a, uh, like asterisk there that I'll get to mm-hmm. later. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just assumed they were all just like out of continuity books and also disconnected from each other. Which well, doesn't bother me at all. No, like, it doesn't bother me at all like, either. Or yeah, what exactly. they are, you know? Exactly. Well, so yeah, Cape like... Carson has never quite sung for me in the same way that it does for other people, but I, the more I see other people rave about it, the more I'm like, I have to just try again.
0: I think you do. I think you got to get over the hump of like the first two or three issues, which are relatively straight. I mean, I know that I remember when we talked about it previously, I was much more into Mike even
1: Eming's work yeah, than you that's, are. Yeah, that's that's a large part of the problem for me. Yeah. That, that, you know, I just, it visually, it doesn't work for me. Mm, and I, true. again, I think this is me. Could be. I think I get over myself and that's it. Eh,
0: I mean, you know, sometimes these things don't click. It,
1: yeah, the other thing is like it's also no problem if it's not my, my sort of book, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know- uh, I I'm I'm fascinated by you being so excited by uh Englehart's West Coast Avengers, not because it's not good because as you know it's one of my favorite comics. Mm-hmm. Um but because as I told you, I think uh, after we recorded the backs of it last time, I've been working through his Green Lantern core. Mm. which I got like all the issues bar two at Emerald City. Wow. A a chunk for $30, I got the entire Englehart Green Lantern Corps run Mm -hmm. with the exception of the first two issues. And I want to say it was published contemporaneously with, with West Coast Avengers. And Jeff, I grew up on it. I did not remember how fucked up it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's... Yeah, but I I remember it being like kind of fucked up. Oh, it's so fucked up. It's wonderful, right? But it's so funny because if you look at his West Coast Avengers, that's really not fucked up. Well... It kind of gets deal with the Ghost Rider stuff. Okay, no near his
0: Green Lantern stuff. Well, okay. First off, the Green Lantern stuff is on a league of its own. But um, I just finished off the issue. Where Tigra more or less has sex with Wonder Man and Hank Pym, like, in the course of like, sev- like literally several pages. So not just in the same issue. And meanwhile, Iron Man's kinda like, hmm, I should stop by her bungalow sometimes. Every- everyone's unaware, and, uh, there's, uh, Englehart being Englehart is, he's doing some weird stuff there. Cause as you know, it's the whole idea is that Tigra is a cat woman and is basically lose her. She's struggling between the Greer Nelson side of herself and the, the pure cat, the part that wants to be, you know, pleased and pampered and, you know, and is, and is basically a physical hedonist. And so there's this battle there. And, um, you know so so it's so it's not it's a little weird too. It's actually really interesting to me reading Englehart's West Coast Avengers um in two ways, one because a lot of this stuff follows uh right on the heels of jim shooter's Avengers um yeah, yeah, and seeing essentially how much Englehart is. Willing to work with sex, like sexual issues as a component for the superhero stories, it makes him in some ways, weirdly, it makes him analogous to Jim Shooter, except Englehart is is a lot more interesting. Shooter's, to me, has just kind of one note to play. And he's kind of a weird perv, I suppose. But wait, Engelhart or Shooter is No, a weird sorry, word. Shooter's Cause a, both of them are. Both of them are, but maybe it's just my sheer blind love for Engelhart. but it his stuff at least feels
1: healthier, if you know well, what I mean. Ultimately what it is for me at least is that Engelhart is arguably kinkier, but also and I kind of hate this phrase just cuz it sounds it makes me think of like People who first said it around me, I was like, well, I don't really like them, but Eckhart is ultimately more sex positive. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's, I, it, it's, he's, he's more sex positive And I think unlike the other reigning pervs of the, of the era, which is to say shooter and, uh, Claremont is I don't necessarily think like the whole thing with Tigra is very much is very, very, in character in a very Englehart way. You know, he's like, okay, I'm sitting down, I'm thinking about this character, their challenges, you know, what is it like to be them? What's really going on? Oh, how do I explore this? And whether that's, you know, Wonder Man's fear of death and how wonderfully Englehart goes on to um explore that and resolve it through the family ties crossover. Uh But also... I, I just feel, in other words, the stuff with Tigra doesn't really feel like it's his kink. I don't even think that the stuff with Helen and Arisa is Engelhart's kink. I think what he likes is, oh, I've come up with this idea. Let's carry it out to the quote-unquote logical extreme. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily his thing, the way that Shooter is clearly obsessed with the idea of n- basically nerds thinking that wanting to be sexual alpha males and the way that Claremont of course has his uh, amazing vari- variations on, on domination issues,
1: you know? Well, to be fair, from reading Green Lantern especially, but I think this really ties into the uh, West Coast Avengers to an extent as well. Engelhardt is fascinated in, or fascinated with women's expressions of sexuality in which they have agency. Yes. And, and he, and it really comes across in the Green Lantern stuff, especially the Star Sapphire mm-hmm. uh, storyline, which is nuts. And honestly, I read it and I was like, oh, fuck Claremont. This is like, you know, teenage bondage comics that I didn't realize at the time. Right. <laughs> like, holy shit. I, I did not. I mean, I guess the subtext was all there and I was reading it when I was, uh, I don't know, 12, 13? Right. But, like, there's a whole level you just don't get when you're that age and then you read it now, and you're like, oh, shit. Right. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Englehart was really not fucking around here. Mm -hmm. But you also get it with Tigra and you get it with, uh, I mean, you've read the Engelhart stuff, right? I can't spoil Mm -hmm. it for you. Right. Um, you get it with the Mockingbird's -hmm. Rape and revenge storyline later as well. Yes. The idea that woman can have sex, can have sexual agency that does not rely upon male approval. Oh yeah. I think that's a perfect way to approach it. It's something she keeps coming back to. Yeah. And also how the woman reacts to that,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: whether with shame, whether with elation, you know, what, what they bring to that. It's all. I mean reading it now, there's a certain level of clumsiness from it because A, it's Englehart, right. And B it's very limited ideas of how women would react to anything. hmm But it's fascinating to see it. Right. And it it that recurs so often I'm like, oh I think that's his kink. Uh
0: is is women with sexual agency?
1: Yeah, and to uh, Part of them, this might be because I've just read it in the Star Sapphire issues, right. but there's definitely it definitely comes across as a a dominant female thing, right?
0: Yeah, I I again I and and I could totally be wrong, but I think I think that on the one hand, I think you're right. I think the expression of female sexuality is is pretty crucial and key to it. Uh, but there is a lot of it that is sort of, and it, and it may very well be, how do I put it? Like, again, it feels like exploring definitely a male viewpoint of the fantasy, but in a way that is trying to expand the male point of view for that fantasy, I suppose. You know,
1: like-ish! I mean, pardon me. I I think – put this way, I think that's what Engelhart thought he was doing. Yeah. But I also think that even that happens with a certain mere gaziness. Oh, yeah. No, no, and no. I no, don't know how that. much it of that is, an is what yeah. Englehart thought – Yeah, but I don't know how much of that is what Engelhart thought that the audience would accept mm-hmm. versus the limits of his own f- framework on this. Right. right. Versus, honestly, what he was into himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I I can't... uh, I can't can't get past the Green Lantern stuff because this is what I've just been reading, Mm -hmm. basically. But you have, beyond the Star Sapphire stuff, which is just absolutely bonkers, um, Arissa's owning of her own sexuality Mm -hmm. and what it does to her, which, I think you're right, is not necessarily his kink. Although, the fact that you get... Uh, Arissa aging herself with her her magic wishing ring and then hal actually says in the next issue i've got proof to other guys that i'm not a child molester yeah still blows my mind yeah still blows my mind um but the fact that she engler goes out of his way in the issue where it turns out that everyone or hal essentially realizes that she has gotten physically older Mm -hmm. to say i've gotten mentally and emotionally older as well right And because I'm mentally and emotionally older, I am confident enough to say, this is how I feel about you. I am ready for a relationship, you know, on my terms. Right. And that ultimately is what, you know, draws Hal to her. Well, like the the idea that she can then be blunt enough to say, this is what I want. Right. They, they, you know, I am expressing what I want. Not even I am. Ex- I am expressing that I am, you know, your fantasy figure. But I am expressing what I want is what Hal. Go- what makes Hal go? Okay, then. There's. I mean, there's a lot of just crazy shit going on in that storyline in general. Yes, but there's something fascinating even beyond the. I think this is what engelhardt is fascinated in. In the, he couches it in. Oh, this is something about the Green Lantern mythology that we've never explored. Mm-hmm. What, what can, you know, if it's a ring that works on your will of power, what if you're not consciously willing something, but you're subconsciously willing something?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and that's, that's what makes him more interesting to these topics than Shooter for me. Well, I mean, because it, uh, I it's think he's a better writer than Shooter. Oh yeah, completely. I mean, that,
0: that, that was going to be the other factor that I wanted to talk about a little bit too, of course, but is, but, but it is the, like, how do I put it? Like, so the subconscious desire subtext of Green Lantern it seems to me that Engelhart, by putting it in the framework of Orisa and a woman's wants and needs, breaks it out of the trap that I feel that 95% of other Green Lantern writers would have gone with that, which is more or less the you know, how I slept with you, but I didn't want to, don't you see, it was the ring, you're a rapist. Or whatever iteration of, if they weren't going to put that on, how whoever they were going to put that on. by Exactly. Yeah. By flipping it into a framework of, of female sexuality, it and it becoming this level of sexual empowerment. You know, the thing about Tigra that I think is interesting is the way in which I, I don't, I'll see how I'll see how the rest of it plays out, but Tigra is deeply conflicted whether or not Englehart is more or less saying that that the cat side of Tigra is supposed to represent um female sexuality and so therefore her conflict because there's a lot of things in which and this is the thing for a guy who does want to write about women he is very um both i would say uninformed and deeply distrustful of the of feminism you know because he has a oh, lot I, of yeah. The, I'm Greer Nelson and I'm a feminist. If only Greer Nelson feminists could see me now because I like men. And I'm just like, what the, what are you fucking talking about? Well, like really? But also you
1: have, you have Mockingbird at the same time who goes out of the way to be like, I'm his woman. Yes. You know, all, all the, the female characters who are in relationships and we'll see this when we get to the, the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, run, he does when we mm-hmm. get to that in Baxter building. There's much more of the the women have to identify themselves through the lens of their male partner.
0: But don't you think that possibly he? Is, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because I'm like right now with West Coast Avengers, it's kind of a nice spread. You know what I mean? It's kind of a sweet spot of. Women like I I even appreciated because for me, there was a great there's a there's a scene where um, Wonder Man goes on Johnny Carson and says to everyone like, hey, I was a thief. Everyone thought it was my brother, but it was really me. And I hit it and I have to own up to it. And Hawkeye basically loses his mind over it, stages a press conference Shovels a lot of BS because, of course, his whole thing is is he's worried about how he'll make the team look and he's worried about the team and making the team succeed. And so he gets up and he gives this big press conference and blah, 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 blah. And all through the stage, Mockingbird's like, you're right, Hawkeye. Hawkeye's right. He's absolutely right. This is what you have to do. Yeah, this is right. And then the instant of two of them are alone. She's like, you know what? You are totally wrong. And you, you, and, and she says, "Like I'm backing you because you know Tiger's is totally right. I backed you because you're my husband. But the fact is that you're wrong, and you're being a huge jerk about this." And one of the things I really liked about that—I mean, it goes a few other places—and but I was kind of like, "Yeah, that's a that is a little more mature and nuanced than I'm used to seeing in superhero comics," you know. Of that era, of most era, I think, well, no you know? yeah.
1: There, there's there's lots of genuinely forward-thinking things, mm-hmm. but you know, just even when you're telling me that that scene, I mean, I've read the comics, I but it was mm-hmm. a while ago. But I can totally imagine uh, Mockingbird saying like, you know, "You're my man!" exclamation point, like okay. that level of you know. Yeah. And it's it's uh, there's uh, part of me is like, oh, we should just read the Fantastic Four, like, because that is crazily. Right, You know, Engelhart embraces the soap opera of uh, infidelity and possessiveness and everything in that and really, really tightly. He sets up, you know, forget the love triangle. He sets up like a love hexagon in, in that run. Um, but I think he does have the women identify themselves through the lens of their male partners to, until you get to something like the, the Mockingbird Rape.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it breaks down in part because he's like, ah, oh, the soap opera, but it's much more interesting when it breaks down. Right. right? Because you have Hawkeye and Mockingbirds go through this, you know, horrible thing, but the rape isn't the, the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they then can't trust each other afterwards. Do you know what I mean? Like it's this weird thing where the rape is almost swept onto the rug. Mm -hmm. And it turns – it's like we're breaking up because I can't trust you because you might have murdered a dude. And it becomes this – you know, when he takes them slightly out of phase, Mm -hmm. it becomes this much more interesting dynamic.
0: Well, which is funny because I remember – I remember – and I suppose – That was the one that that where of course I was kind of like, like, yeah, sort of sort of the way that you know you've got someone like Bill Clinton referring to himself as like the first black president or something, and then saying something really not cool racially speaking. Engelhart's whole thing of not just not just rape. What's interesting is is that he on the one hand he's like, okay. She gets raped, but she's going to take her own revenge and Hawkeye is going to be opposed to the concept of that revenge because of that's who they are. And it's both a twist on the trope and it, like you said, there's twists on the trope. But the thing that's really creepy is, is that the rape itself is really just a trope. Like it, and it would be one thing, I suppose, if it was a, I mean, it's just a horribly horribly
1: incendiary uh topic it, it, and it's amazing it's one of the things that's aged very badly when you reread it well. because the no but i i because again i read it at the time and i remember being like oh this is weird because right. again i'm you know 14 or something and I see that's know, it exactly uh, yes. and then you read it as an adult, and you're like oh shit like because yeah. the, the rape is the rape is literally the most least important thing in that
0: storyline right well and as someone who was uh, you know again this is one of those crucial things where our age difference sort of plays into the the fact a little bit but having since I was older than you when I read it when it came out I had been enjoying the run up to that point and I was like ooh, yeah no this is yeah I just can't Hey, I, I I don't remember did, if I followed Did you through.
1: stick with the, the series after that? I don't think because, that I did. Because before Engelhart essentially quits the book in, in you know, Rage, hmm. he brings in the wasp mm-hmm. as a regular character. Hmm. And he his relationship between the wasp and Hank is super fascinating. Hmm. Because he seems um and again, by this point, he's getting into, like, hammy soap opera, mm-hmm. Steve Englehart, but he... Did he... Le- you mean, no.
0: like, like, hammy? I mean, one of the great things about Englehart is he's never far from the soap opera, of course.
1: Yeah, but there's a... Uh, I guess he, he leans in more to the soap opera than the superheroics at some point. Uh-huh. Like, I think, especially like, something like Lost in Space is mean, an incredibly good... uh superhero story mm-hmm. like it's very fun he's playing with all the Marvel tropes he's playing with Marvel history you know he he's doing interesting things outside of the soap opera stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: but by I would say by the end of the West Coast Avenger run which again I still really like it's essentially soap opera mm-hmm. because it's like I brought Janet back. They're divorced, but they're friends. She's kind of forgiving them. Are they getting bad together? Here's Hank's dead wife, who's not actually dead.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. It brings so, back and, Maria. Like, right. Becomes,
1: yeah. And that becomes like the the force of all the stories. Mm-hmm. Pretty much as soon as Hawkeye and Mockingbird split up, mm-hmm. the entire book is run on the soap opera. And they all just happen to half powers. And maybe now and again, they'll be a supervillain. Well, interestingly enough, again, I just finished issue six, which somehow
0: manages to jam in a fight with Jack Russell, Werewolf by Night, uh, at the very end of it, but has for maybe the first twelve to fourteen pages of it, um, it's just all soap opera. It's you know, it, it the scene again, you've got it you basically have um Tigra, you know, Having sex with two different members of the team. You've got Simon's, uh, the fallout from his appearance on Carson and the, the press thing. You've got Hawkeye and Mockingbird both fighting and making up. Um, you've got Fat Iron Man walking around. God, I love Fat <laughs> Iron Man so much. Cause Al Milgram and Joe Sinnott, uh, they just, there's scenes where they're drawing Iron Man and he just looks. He just looks like a, he looks like a big fat guy, and I
1: love, uh, uh, I love I, the appearance of him that I, way. I've gotta tell you, I know you hate Al Milgram, I know you really do, mm-hmm. but his West Coast Avengers art is, just makes me so happy. In part because it's so amazingly clunky. It's cl- especially, oh. especially after It leaves. Right. My- McLaughlin comes on as anchor, and you're like, "Oh, this is not an attractive book," but I love it so much. Well, see, and this is
0: one of the things that I thought. What I thought reading West Coast Avengers, I thought would also be a fertile follow-up because the first four parts of the Family Ties crossover, which I had read before in the, I think, the Vision and Scarlet Witch trade a couple of years back, but had forgotten some of the nuances of it. It, I. I really genuinely one hundred percent adore those comics. They are everything that I want in superhero comics. The the degree to which Engelhart takes Simon Williams and the Vision, moves them forward, makes an issue, a statement about it, even does a bunch of stuff with Grim Reaper, even throws out that amazing thing where all of Grim Reaper's um dudes who are helping him apart from Goliath are black and he's so he's so racially offensive that they just basically abandon him which is amazing. Um There's all this stuff that's in it. The art is just ass ugly. I mean it's it's <laughs> you you go from Milgram being inked by Senate where it's like Sinnott doing the best he can and then you cut over to the Vision and Scarlet Witch stuff and Richard Howell is not my cup, cup of tea at all. The stuff that he's doing there, there's amazing, there's amazing bits and pages. There's times where his pacing is stunning or good. There's one stunning sequence, which I, I know I've ranted about before. But generally, I was like, cause you know, as, as you may know, Graham, um, we were, whether rightly or wrongly, in many ways taken to task after our last Baxter building for being too hard on the issues. And some people really thought that we were being too hard on Burn and Burn's art, and and, it, and I just
1: want to say I disagree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I I that's the weird part is I think I still am too. I feel sorry. I, I apologize if we ruffled some feathers, but the thing that is is sort of with the diminishing returns of burn, I mean, I remember us both jumping up and down over excitement of the, you know, hey, Johnny, Ben, why don't you go to the bazaar? Wink. Rita and I need some alone time. Wink. And we were like, oh my God, the Fantastic Four are actually acting like human beings with like human needs. The West Coast Avengers, in its melodramatic cheer Cheerfully melodramatic way really is all about characterization in a way that I really love and need. Um, mm-hmm. and, and once that's there, I'm like, okay, the art can just be functional. You know, one of the things I got Sal Milgram for you. Uh, he does functional. Who he,
1: when helped by, uh, <laughs> Joe Sennett. No, he gets the, he gets the point across. The problem yes. is, he just gets the point across. Well, see, that's it. His
0: story, he, he, he tells a story, and it is also, I think, worth pointing out that as far as I can tell, this is, this is during, you know, Jim Shooter, the cocaine years. So there's a lot of stronger and stronger editorial mandates in terms of the art having to be, quote unquote, less confusing. So there's times where, It's, it is, it, the fact that he is, like you said, he tells a clear story. You can tell one person from the other. And there are shots where you're like, why the fuck would you jam all, everyone into like an extreme long shot talking in a big room? And it's like, oh, right. Because Shooter told them they had to show their hands, their heads and their feet kind of thing. I'm like, okay, I I can, I can cut Milgram some slack is what I'm willing to say. But I'm also aware that I would like to think that, the extent to which I trashed Byrne's art had a lot to do with what I thought were some, some really steep storytelling flaws, especially considering that it's John Byrne. This is a guy who was, who has done some amazing stuff. Like I, I think, you know, back when I was rereading, uh, Claremont and Byrne's Iron Fist, uh, there was a lot of, really smart storytelling choices that Byrne was putting in there in terms of panel layouts or page effects that worked because he clearly worked them until they were right. So all of which is to say, yes, I'm a hypocrite. It drives me crazy how much the art is, is like you said, functional, but it is also a a big sign of there are some people who are in it for the art, and I have to say there are comics that I look at and I'm like, ah, this is, oh my God, this is so great because of the art, but it, but it is amazing how much of that the comics are a story delivery vehicle for me, including characterization or, in in the case of Dread's Cursed Earth, just insanity, you know? Like, there's just that, there's, I'm just, I'm only like eight chapters in, but I had just gotten to the brilliant stuff with the medical, again, the things that seem like if Jack Kirby had really dropped had smoked some serious hashish. He could have come up with the whole robot vampire last president of the United States, which I think is just a two-parter. It's Kirby as hell. You know, in the sense that it's, it's kind of Pat Mills thinking like Kirby, the writer. And then you've got, I think it's Mike McMahon doing the art on, on both parts of it. So the art is, oh, my God. Uh, those It's amazing how much just even this early part of the Cursed Earth has kind of everything that I want in comics. Like, there's that whole <laughs> thing. The Lawgiver and then, you know, where he, like, those people are being um sentenced to death. And I can't remember what it's called. Oh, The Devil's Lap Dogs. And you're like, what the fuck is, like, you just know that Mills was like, oh, The Devil's Lap Dogs. Like, he wrote that when he was like up at 3 a.m. in a cafe in and in, probably in a pub somewhere. He's like, oh, yeah, right. And then the next morning, like, what does that mean? Oh, of course, I'm talking about the hang gliding rats that live on the garbage belt circling above the cursed earth that swoop down and whose touch means poison. And of co- I'm just like, "I, I just, it's just that weird, like, how does he know? It's like I'm an open book <laughs> to this guy.
1: How does you he know? Well, what is great to remember as well is, you know, this is being done when 2080 is still really young. I mean, this is before Prog 100, right? Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. talking less than two years into the run. Mm-hmm. And Mills is writing a shit ton, not only for 2080 but for other titles as well. Yeah. And is editorially helping out on 2080, mm-hmm. So he is a busy-ass man. Yeah. And- you realize that at some point, this is almost automatic writing. Yes. Like, you must have been like, I've got to turn around five pages for Dread this week. Uh, shit. Okay. You know, devils, you know, that's fine. They're rats. They're hang gliding. Okay. That, that, that'll, that'll be great. Mm-hmm. And you just have that it's insane enough. And then you have amazing art. I mean, the cursed earth has a staggering lineup of artists. When oh you look yeah. Look at it now. Right. It it's just it's because it's McMahon. It, I think Cam Kennedy does some in there. Boland's certainly in there. Oh, Boland pops up at, at one point. Has already popped up from
0: one chapter. I know he'll be back for more. But it's stunning, and it's this whole showdown along Mount Rushmore. Which again, I was like, oh okay, kind of like I'm sort of used to Boland. Like, oh, this is going to look lovely, and it will probably. Set stuff up for later that other people will get to draw, but because this is, like you said, this is early on in 2000 AD, it's like, no, it's Boland. They have this massive, insane shootout. They, they're fighting like this laser saw flying saucer thing that's used to carve things into Mount Rushmore and the mutants meanwhile are like riding up and attacking them. So like they have that again, the toyeticness of the, the tank, the killdozer, and, like, the little retriever car that can split apart. Like, what's amazing about Mills is, like you said, it's automatic writing, but it's, it's also, it's all hooks. Like, and it's not just, by the time you get to the, the, the vampire two-parter, which is like, it's like vampire robots. People would just coast on that alone but like but at the end of that where dreads like no the villagers are making a terrible mistake they're about to kill the last president of the United States i was like you beautiful bastard like there's just <laughs> you know what i mean like that it's there's just an a, a, it it's this ridiculous abundance that seems like to me just like practically an eye-watering generosity i i the the just is delightful Uh, so yeah it's like i'm only eight parts into this and it's kind of like uh jesus i I just don't know what it's like it's like reading a year of other comics in like sort of
1: shrinky dink format or what are those like um but it's incredible because you think about like 2080 was all like that at that mm -hmm. point yes Dude, right. the that he was all, you know, a weekly comic where everyone was like, let's, you know, we're probably going to get cancelled really quickly. Let's just go all out apeshit.
0: Well, but the thing that I think is interesting is it's all out apeshit, but it is also, it, there, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, to me, it's not even like, oh, they're going to boo us off the stage. So let's just do whatever the fuck we want. It's like, it, it's such a, you know, meth. And whiskey approach to like, hey, let's put on a show. Like literally they're, 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 they are vamping like, you know, like they're going to get thrown off at any page. Like say what you will about Mark Miller and there's a lot to be said with him. His willingness to pander to his audience, um, for a long time meant that he was just going to double down on the stupid ideas because you know, like w- w- he just was going to try and throw more shit at you than you anticipated so that, if nothing else, you couldn't see how lazy he was actually being
1: behind the scenes. You know mm-hmm. what I but mean? But that's, that's also the appeal of classic Morrison to a lot of people. Yeah. That yeah. just – he gets the idea you've kind of thought of mm-hmm. and then it's go uh, – but also – Yes. And that's what people love. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So you get uh, DC 1 million. It's like, well, you've been to the 30th century. What about the 853rd century? <laughs> right. and every Justice League member has their own planet. <laughs> you know, and you're like, sure. i I never thought of that, but it is. It's doubling down on the idea. Yeah. You know, he, here is the idea. What if you take it further? Yeah. And, and you occasionally get that in American comics, but so rarely, and especially now. Oh, yeah. You know, if someone's like... The Sinister Six, what about the Sinister Six hundred? Whereas you get the idea that if, you know, Spider-Man was a 2000 AD character, that would have been the second story. Oh, it would have been. Like, I don't even know if they've gotten to the Sinister Six hundred, but, like, for the first 30 years of
0: Spider-Man, they're like, what about the Sinister Seven? No, 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 wait. I'm about to blow your mind. What if it's the Sinister Seven plus two? No, 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 no. But one of those is the it, it power, there, so did, it's kind of didn't a good thing.
1: they wants to... But didn't they once do the Sinister 666? Or am I just imagining that? That actually sounds more like a
0: Morrison comic. I mean, they probably did. Because one of the things I want to talk about is Amazing Spider-Man 25.
1: Uh, oh, okay, let's. I, I, wait, before we do that, I want to say very quickly, you talked about the comics you read. I read uh, I'd, like a year or so of Green Lantern Corps. I read a chunk of DC that they've sent me that I'm catching up on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also read – I also has been catching up on Marvel. Right. I read all of Captain America, Steve Rogers. Mm. All of Captain America, Sam Wilson. Uh, you you and, mean GM, Marvel Unlimited or like up to like what's no, no, currently I, hitting like, the stand? Like I, I purchased because I'm like Secret Empire's coming out soon. I should actually be up on this shit. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean I I read up to however – whatever it's up to on, on Marvel Unlimited and then bought the, the others. Right, right. So like I bought six months worth of – like however many comics this is, like twelve comics. Or it's not... <laughs> you, you mean forty-five buy- comics because it's Marvel, right? But no, uh, yeah, but no, they're both monthly, I think. I, I'm right? kidding. Yeah, I, I don't I, know. Yeah, I, I was but te- like, there's crossover issues. I definitely didn't buy. They're like this continues in Thunderbolts, and I'm like, nope. Too bad. <laughs> I'm sure it does, but I'm no, yeah, not for me. <laughs> um, but I, I read a chunk of Spider-Man as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, good. In part because I did read Amazing Spider-Man twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a really weird reaction to it. Oh, my <laughs> so God. I think let, we might be on the same page. Let's talk about it.
0: Yes, let's. And then I think it might be a fine way to – we can then move and you can talk about more of the stuff that you've read because I think I've covered a basic spread of what I want. Except Amazing Spider-Man 25, which, you know, because Hannah Blumenreich had a story in there where she's – Inked by Jordan paid $10 Gibson. We both dollars
1: for a comic. <laughs> we
0: both did. Holy shit. And I mean, the thing is, is because I couldn't get into the store, I paid $10 for a digital comic.
2: Oh, so did I. Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just kind of like... You really are like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I know. It really is. I am not like, wrong. It's a long comic. And part of that is... Yeah. I don't know how long the first story is, but that story felt like it was roughly two years long. It was two years long. It's... It is... Minus
0: the cover and the recap page, it is a 35 page story. Oh, but it
1: feels longer.
0: Well, because, because digitally it counts double page spreads as one page. So, but, so it's even longer than that, but it's probably a 40 pager. But as you said, it reads like two years of comics and it, it really reads, let's stick to this if you don't mind because it, because it is so long. And because I did read it, and because it is uh, Stuart Eminen <laughs> on pencils, but it's also, um, I, it's, it's just like okay. First question, and I apologize if this makes me sound like uh, kind of like our racist president. But are they publishing Spider Man comics in China? Why is it every six months I pick up a comic book on slots run? And Peter is in China and he's speaking Mandarin or other dialects. But he's like, like, seriously, when they rebooted it with the Alex Ross cover and I picked it up, I'm like, it was literally Spider-Man on, I want to say it was on the streets of Hong Kong with the Spider-Mobile, like, busting triad bad guys. Maybe I'm
1: wrong, but. I don't think it was China, but I could be misremembering. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was Tokyo. I know exactly, what, I know Tokyo, exactly but... what you're talking about, Uh because it's now globe-trotting Spider-Man, Jeff. Well, okay, globe-trotting Spider-Man. Am I just only picking up the the Asia issues? You, thing? I, yeah, I think you are. To okay, honest. all right, because I've read a bunch of issues where he's in other countries that are not China or Japan.
0: Okay, thank
1: you, because I swear so, to so God, okay, so yes. Don't worry, I think this is one of the cases where you are just picking up individual issues and it just coincidentally, okay. I mean, there's maybe something to be said about the jumping on issues are the issues where he's in Asia. Right. But I don't, like, I think that's, I don't think it's like, a, you know, a Marvel Studios type thing where they're like, an extra Chinese scene for the Chinese market. I don't think it's like that. Who knows? Right. I could be wrong. Right. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, the thing about the the main, the lead story is, it felt, uh, you're not keeping up with, with, um, US Avengers, Sorry, you, the Al Ewing comic? No. The latest issue of that is hilarious because it's Al Ewing doing an entire crossover in on one issue.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, called, shit, what's it called? Monsters and Shields, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like three comics that don't exist. So like one of them is called like Hulk King of the In Crowd. <laughs> I, I kind of, like, I, there's another, I think a, another one's a Deadpool comic, uh, but, like, the gimmick is, it's a crossover in one issue. Mm-hmm. And so each story is like three pages long, and then it's like, to be continued in, and then it, you get like a cover, and then you get the next part of the story. Um this issue of Spider-Man, the lead story, feels like- The it made-up is, comic inside that comic? Well, no, no, but it feels like it is like seven comics in one. Hmm, I see. Because it's so... It tries to do far too much,
2: mm-hmm.
1: far too much, uh, and in part because of that ambition, nothing really comes off. Like, none of the scenes, none of the characterization paid off for me at all. Mm. Uh, the writing seemed ridiculously scattered. It looks great. It's a Stuart imminent comic. Right. You know, that man can draw the shit out of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, also I, really well-colored, too, I felt. I was going to say, the coloring's great, but the coloring also just didn't work for me. Mm. Like, it's really well done, but mm-hmm. the color choices didn't work for me. Interesting. But I, I was aware throughout the entire thing. I was like, this is colored really well, but I don't like it. Mm. Uh, and I couldn't tell you why. <laughs> uh, I, 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 well, I have, I have a lot of... It, you know what it is? It felt too dark. Mm-hmm. It felt like a very... Literally dark comic, like yes. visually dark. Yeah. Uh, in a way that felt odd to me for a Spider-Man book, and actually even odd to me for the story that was being told. <sighs> I felt, I felt <sighs> it, should, it should have been brighter, for one, for better. I,
0: you know, I mean this this is my problem with slot, it, it, and this issue in particular is reading it. I was like. Oh, this is an interesting character. You know, he's got some beats, but but I don't. But if I don't know, it doesn't feel like it. So did not feel like a Spider-Man comic to me. Like Slot has has quote unquote evolved the character to a point where I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is sort of this is his take on Spider-Man, but it's such a take that is. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess what I could say is is that for for people who are into like the per- perception of growth or the illusion of change or whatever, this Spider Man has about as much in common with the Spider Man that I grew up on as say the Superman of the mid nineties had with the Superman of like the seventies or the sixties. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, okay, he's wearing the Spider-Man outfit. He's got webs. He's talking about the Parker luck. But there's such a weird it was just it, like there's this thing where Spider-Man he's like it's 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 driven Spider Man, not necessarily gritty Spider-Man, but it's basically like uh it's 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 very much a Spider-Man who's kind
1: of a it's douchey Spider-Man. It's like... I, I, have, I have a question about this. Mm-hmm. Because this was my feeling, and I'm wondering if it's just me or if you felt it too. Mm-hmm. Is Spider-Man just a little bit too capable and respected for you? No, it's, it's not. Because I, I, I really had that feeling throughout the entire thing, where people were like, Okay, Spidey, you you're you take poison this one. And he's like, Okay, I'm going to do it. And he well, does it. Well, see, or, uh, you know, uh, yes, exactly. Something should go wrong at this point. Like, yeah. he should fuck up. Yeah, or people should not be like so willing to let him take points. This this is like this is a problem for me. Yeah, it, Spider-Man being a success because it's you know Slot is very aware of something has to go wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like Peter Parker and Spider-Man cannot both be successful at the same time. Right. But the idea of what has gone wrong now yes. is so. The scale is just so wrong. So yeah. you won't know this because it happens at the end of the clone conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But what happened to go wrong, quote unquote, for Peter Parker is, in order to stop everyone become infected by something that would kill them all off and then being brought back as clones. Right. He used his hyper successful uh, web weavers operating system, yeah. webware, whatever webware. Called, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. To transmit a signal that would kill off the infection. Yeah, and because of that, people think that his webware is faulty. Mm-hmm. That is the something's gone wrong. Yeah, think think about that. His multi-million-dollar company. People might have a bad opinion of it. Yeah, right. Like, that doesn't count. <laughs> well, and
0: right, exactly. And that's that weird thing of of it's you know one of the things that's really amazing about Hannah Blumenreich's work is which I'm sure we'll get into in, in greater detail, is the way in which she's someone who appreciates Spider-Man, um, but, like, hasn't read the comics, and therefore her take on it is um remarkably clear, I guess. Dan Slott, weirdly enough, feels also like someone who has learned a lot about Spider-Man without reading the comics. And therefore his take is very much, it, it's like if you, if you spent three hours drinking with someone in the bar and it tried to explain what the Parker luck was and then had them walk out and write an issue of Spider-Man, you know, like, there's just weird things where Sloth's like, no, 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 I got you, I got you. No, here, here's Aunt May embarrassing uh Peter Parker uh here by talking about, like, showing fo- baby photos of his dinkle. Like, oh, no, 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 I know, I totally get what you're talking about. Peter Parker is totally loyal to his friends. But there's just this weird, like, <sighs> like you'll see Spider-Man, he's in the middle of running an operation that S.H.I.E.L.D. is letting him run. All the other superheroes are like, I thought he was going to be funny. I, you know, cause they're trying to crack jokes and he's like, shut up. This is serious. And then later he's like, oh, I make a little joke. And I'm just like, ah, oh, he's a douche. I mean, it's very much <laughs> sp- Dan Slott has made Peter Parker a douche in that he is the sort of guy whose problems that he worries about are problems that the majority of us never have to worry about.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. His, you he, know, Spiderman is no longer anything close to an audience identification figure at all.
0: Yeah, and there's something that is part of me is like, okay, I guess, but but at the same at the same time, I mean, I feel like Slot is trying to take have a better take on. On the idea of Spider-Man in today's world, because it is really hard to believe that, for example, someone who is a a master in the STEM fields is going to be basically a miserable photographer, like living with his aunt. Like I kind of get that you can't have that in the 21st century, but the way in which you can have a gifted person fail and self-defeat is something that that. That slot deeply doesn't understand, and sort of the same way back when you were talking years ago about the sp- where you were like, "This is like Spider-Man right out of the pages of 24." Like this really isn't Spider-Man. This is so out of continuity, you know, out of character Spider-Man that it just doesn't feel like Spider-Man. And they were like, "Oh no, 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 no! Wait, wait! We've got a twist that's very much like classic." Spider-Man, and then I don't even remember what it was, he like sprains his ankle on a roof or something, you know, after threatening to kill a terrorist. But it's the same thing here, where his whole like, his whole drive to get Osborne is very much, uh, like, I need a win. Like, I need a win on the table. And I'm like, that's childish. Like, at least, at least when he w- at least when Peter Parker was a, Spider-Man was a man-child, under Jerry Conway, it's because Jerry Conway was like 19 years old and had grown up reading comic books. You
1: know what I mean? Like, and was well, himself but, a man. But here's the thing: I, I think that the problem with Slot Spider Man for me is that Sp- Slot has clearly read all the Spider Man comics, <laughs> and and is like, oh, but I've got to remember he did all these things, and I would try and do something different. And his idea of different is something that is just not Spider Man for me, and it sounds like for you. Well, I- but I I, I don't. You know, slot does not have the – it sounds like someone who's heard about Spider-Man but never read Spider-Man for me. It's exactly the opposite. It sounds like someone who likes and who has read too much Spider-Man. Well – It's <sighs> like, it would be cool for this guy to do. And it's like – but it's not, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean – but I just think there's a no, lot of – No, Spider-Man capable and successful before. There's a reason for
0: that. Well, yes, exactly. And I think that's it. There is this idea. To me, it's – it's – if – you're right in that he's read all the other Spider-Man comics, and therefore his whole thing is, is how to not get trapped in that. I, it's weird. There's bits and pieces where I'm like, ah, I just, I, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's, a, it's just, I read it, and I'm like, this is, this is, this is wrong. It's just weirdly, just it doesn't feel right. And also it just felt weirdly the whole idea of, of Peter Parker trying to get Osborne because he got the lead on it and he needs the win. And who knows? I didn't read the previous issue. Maybe there's some other reason. And of course it's happening just as Osborne is himself trying to bust a move of revenge on Spider-Man's crap, the uncle Ben foundation or whatever. There's just something that's, I don't know how to describe it. It, 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 it feels like it has no stakes. Like, and, and what is, am- which is amazing for a story that is more or less, um, designed like a globe trotting race around the clock. You know, I, it, it feels a lot like, um, I, I mean, it just, I don't know how to describe it. It feels more like an, 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 like what the ninth season of Spider-Man the TV show would have become than anything like if J.J. J. Abrams had done it, than anything like what would have happened as a result of Spider-Man the comic if you read the first, I don't know, 200, 300 issues. And, and part of me is like, I think it's, in a way, it's good that, that Slot has, gets to do his own take, I suppose, you know, like looking at the rest of the stories and the rest of the issue, Spider-Man is a, is a pretty malleable character, you know, you can do a lot of different things with him and, you know, thank God you can do something, you know, uh. Hannah Blumenreich's Mutts Do About Nothing is a
1: really incredibly enjoyable Spider-Man story. Oh, but it's, it, isn't it so amazingly charming? I it, mean, I'm a sucker for dog stories at the best of times. Yes. But give me Hannah Blumenreich doing just a really simple, you know, kid finds a dog, wants to adopt the dog story. Yeah. And calling the dog sandwich. I mean – Oh, it it's it's like someone was like, I am going to spend, you know, four pages making you want to cry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's it
0: and it it's great. But it is one of those things that sort of I would say apart from if you took suddenly a severe right turn from the first fifteen issues of Stanley and Steve Ditko's Spider Man. Could you have gotten here? You know what I mean. Like if you were following the things of continuity. You per se, wait. But you mean fine. you
1: mean slots,
0: or you mean Hannah? No, 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 Hannah. Hannah's story feels to me like it reminds me of and back when you have Stanley and Steve Ditko having Peter as a gawky teenager kind of thing. They're all doing they're doing very different things. It's a very different style of comic that she's doing, but just even she's totally it's closer to that than even than say, when you get to Ramita and Lee kind of doing, you know what I mean? Like it's,
2: well, it's, it's interesting.
1: We have, we have, uh, spoken before in this podcast about, uh, Marvel creating a Peter Parker in, in high school that never existed.
0: Yes, exactly. You know,
1: you have things like Spidey and everything. The, the, the series Spidey, I mean, the, the one that just finished, the mm-hmm. Robbie Thompson mm-hmm. series. Yeah. Uh, or Ultimate Spider-Man. And they're going for like a status quo that never was actually real. Yeah. And Hannah's Spider-Man is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like Hannah's Peter Parker never existed before. That's right. He It's a great take on the idea. Yes. It's a fresh take on the idea, and it's one that I really enjoy and want to read more of every time I see it. Right. But for all its sins, Dan Slot Spider-Man feels more in tune with the Spider-Man that has come before in Marvel Comics than harness. See, I would. I no, would that's what I'm saying. No, 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 and that's and I guess that's
0: what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that Spider Man is more or less has reached a point, or maybe at least I've reached a point in my fanboyism that I can let a character that sort of like Batman. You know, for me, I'm like you can have Adam West Batman, you can have Frank Miller Batman, you can have Tom King Batman. You can have Bob Haney Batman. You can have Jim apparo you know, with Jim Starlin writing Batman. You can have Chuck Dixon Batman. They're they're Jeff Parker Batman. They're all various forms of Batman. They're not the same Batman at all, but they've sure. got a different thing that they explore that I enjoy. And weirdly enough, quote unquote, is still Batman. And so part of me is like looking at dance lot stuff, and I'm like, okay it's not Spider-Man. It's not, it's, it's Spider-Man. It's, it's getting to that point. It's like, okay, I kind of sort of, I can't tell if I'm reluctant because I don't want this to be quote unquote, the Spider-Man, you know, but Mm -hmm. part of me is like, maybe that's just me being pissy. Like I read it and I, and it reads kind of wrong, but part of me is like looking at the rest of the issue. I'm like, There are, there are things that make Spider-Man, Spider-Man, and you can also, you can, you can, you've got, you're getting more and more flexibility with what you can do outside of the basics of what makes quote unquote Spider-Man. You can have different takes on it. You can have high school Spider-Man. You can, you can have like, and by Spider, you know, you can have a kid Spider-Man that's much more of a kid than, than Spider-Man ever actually was. And, and that's okay. And you can also have this stuff with slot. And part of me is like, you know, it sells, it's competent. I, I, you know, it really is. It's not slots trying to do stuff. He's feels like he's got all his pieces in place. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me, but I'm sure that someone would say the same thing about, you know, i don't know jeff parker's spider-man or picking up jumping from from uh from chuck dixon's batman to
1: grant morrison's batman or something okay so so i want to use this to pivot on on something else okay my end point is going to be captain america next is captain america Ah, but i'm going to go through a few places to get there great um we're in an era and i think we've been in an era for the last uh when did when did hawkeye launch 2012, 2011? Uh, who can tell? I mean, you know. Uh, but, okay, let's say five, six years. Uh, we're in a, we're in a period where character continuity doesn't really count. And you get a lot of comics that are essentially, this must be Hawkeye because it says Hawkeye on the cover and it's a Marvel comic book. Right. This must be Spider-Man because it says Spider-Man on the cover and it says Marvel comic book. Yes. Um, For better and for worse. Mm-hmm. And... There's ways to doing that well, and there's ways to doing that not well. One of the things I was catching up on this week is the last couple of issues of DC's Flash, which, on the face of it, that's not Barry Allen as Barry Allen used to be. Mm -hmm. Like, Barry Allen that exists in the comics now is essentially the television Barry Allen, who in many ways is Wally West from the comics from the 1980s and 90s. Right, right. Right? Yeah. But it's a great comic. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I have, I have accepted this as like, The Flash, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And what's funny to me is the last issue of The Flash and the, this issue, which is coming out this Wednesday, but DC sent it early for some reason, um, is now doing the television Barry Allen better than the TV show. Mm. Doing that, that level of soap opera better than the TV show. Mm-hmm. There, there's a, uh, reveal in this week's issue of the flash that feels very much like something a tv show would do but something a tv show wouldn't have done as well Mm. you know uh but at the same time it's not the barry allen that existed for you know 200 issues right in in the the 60s and the 50s 60s and 70s it's just not it's not the same character yeah but it's it's well done and he's an interesting character and Mm -hmm. it's a fun comic book so you forgive it Right. You know? Uh Hawkeye Fraction uh, I just Hawkeye is not the Clint Barton that existed before that comic book at all, in the slightest but again, it's a fun comic book it's a well done comic book and you accept it you might be like me and be like well, I still fucking miss Englehart's Hawkeye but again, it's fine then you get to the Captain America books and I've said before in this podcast, I really like spencer's sam wilson in america book
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'd like to take that back <laughs> i'd like i'd like to say that i like it uh i think it's got a lot of problems mm-hmm. I, a lot of problems uh and at some point spencer became far too aware of like the audience for the book and started writing not even to that audience but with an awareness of that audience which is fucking killing the comic mm. um but it's, it's still like the Sam Wilson book is still the one where he's like, I grew up in the Mark Grunwald run, you guys. Mm-hmm. And that has such, uh, attachment for me, such nostalgia for me, that I'm like, I get it. You're bringing D-Man back. Okay, sure. I'm there. You know, you're, you're doing shout outs to the Serpent Society. Great. The AmeriCorps. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, I, I remember that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though he does, especially in the last four issues or so, I mean, just, it wraps itself up in, I've been paying too much attention to my Twitter feeds. Right. right? That you're like, don't do this, don't, just don't fucking, uh, I mean, is it bad if I spoil it for you, Jeff? Because I don't think you're reading this comic, right? No, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. So you probably saw on Twitter, there comes a point where a team called the Bombshells show up, Mm -hmm. and they are essentially like Tumblr commenters.
0: Oh yes, right, I did see that like, right. You yeah. know, one
1: of them's like, I can't even, and that's a genuine line of, of, yeah. of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, consider this your trigger warning as they throw a bomb at someone. <laughs> like, I mean, really, like, stuff that makes Bob Haney look subtle. <laughs> you know? But this is part of a storyline that has the AmeriCops who are, I mean, fascists. Mm-hmm. There's no way of getting around it. They're a private police force that are fascists. Right. Um they, do you remember Rage from the Larry Hammer, uh, Avengers run? Uh, no. He's essentially like a teenage kid who is in his adult's body. It's almost mm-hmm. like Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, he decides that he's going to like, you know, I'm gonna fight the AmeriCops! And then the Falcon comes in and is like, hey man, you're black, I'm black, we can't fight the man, that's really bad optics, we should really try and talk this shit out. And Rage is like, what? No! Okay then, I kind of respect you. Uh, the last few issues are, Rage goes to stop a crime, the villains run away from the scene of the break-in, the Merikop show up, they think that Rage has done it, they beat the shit out of him, they arrest him. Mm-hmm. And Falcon is like, no, not even Falcon. Sam, Captain America, is like, uh, we've got to fight this. You clearly didn't do it. And Rage is like, no, we've got to teach them all a lesson. I'm going to be a martyr. And I'm going to show them that the system doesn't work. And Sam gets footage to prove that he's been framed and releases it. And it causes a scandal. But it doesn't matter because the judge is corrupt as well. And the judge is a racist and the judge sentences them to jail so there's a race riot like ferguson but the police attack the rioters who aren't even rioting they're protesting that's you know it's terrible but some of them are looting so of course the fault uh, i keep saying the falcon captain america speaks out against the looters mm-hmm. going hey you guys looting is bad it's hurting is hurting the cause and while this is happening uh, Rage gets put in high security prison where he gets beaten up by criminals and his brain damaged the end. Oh, Jesus. Right? And you're just like, this is terrible. <laughs> this, this is really bad. Mm-hmm. All of this is terrible. Like, I see that you're trying to make a point, but I don't know what your point is and this is all terrible. Nonetheless, this comic is infinitely better than the Steve Rogers comic. Uh huh. Which is staggeringly bad and not not only because of the retcon, mm-hmm. but because it is at this point thirteen issues of filler. Ooh, thirteen issues because you get the uh, first issue ends with caps hy- Hydra agents. Yes, and then you have twelve subsequent issues of we're trying to explain it. Here's a bit more of a retcon, and <laughs> we uh, can't actually move forward with the with this story. Right, because I'm so, waiting for yep. the. We're killing time for the crossover. Mm -hmm. So you have – and there's not even any other story that's happening. So you have 12 issues of Cap maybe is beat. like, it's fucking with people's heads. Maybe he's a master manipulator. That's it. Hmm. It's a year's worth of filler. And you get other things happening like, is Maria Hill the in charge of shields? No, she's not. Is she on the run? Maybe someone's found out about Cap. No, they've not. It's, <laughs> no. I, 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 it's, just, it's literally moving the piece around, but not doing anything with them. Mm-hmm. It's a year of filler, Jeff. Mm-hmm. It's staggeringly bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it really is just, I, okay, I've set up my my, my storyline. Oh, I've got to, I've got to wait a year for my crossover. Oh, don't worry, I'll 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 give them flashbacks about how Steve is really best friends with Helmet Zero, who he now went to school with. <laughs> that that's that's like three issues of the comic, Jeff. Wow, what? I should, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, it's it's at some point, Spencer decided oh, I don't really need to have any for momentum here because the payoff's going to be so good. And right. so, for a year, there's no forward momentum. I mean, the, the developments are literally, maybe Cap's going to, you know, it, there's a lot of, is the, the superhero that Cap put in a, like, threw out the plane in the first place? He's alive, but he's in a coma. Is he going to wake up? No. Does Cap need to kill him? No, he's dead. <laughs> you know? Is the Red Skull going to find him out? No. But what? No, <laughs> what was, like complete fake-outs like that. <laughs> it's help they were going to turn on him. No, why not? Don't know. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a year of that. It's twelve issues of that. Oof. Yeah, that sounds. That I, sounds. I get like no editor stepped in and been like, "Can we have a story?" Oh, I
0: I think it's almost the opposite. I could be wrong, but I think it wouldn't surprise me if. If secret, I wonder if Secret Empire more or less got spun out into an event based on how much news coverage and reception the the first issue got. But that 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 the idea of Secret Empire was supposed to be something that was going to kick in like within five or six
1: issues. I I but you know. I, it wouldn't have surprised me if at some point Secret Empire was the plan immediately post-Civil War. hmm You know, if they finish Civil War two and then they're like, okay, and now Cap can, like... Come right, and they come. move right into it. And at yeah. that point, they've because had, like, five
0: or six issues to set things up and
2: boom.
1: Yeah. But, like, the Civil War two crossover ends at issue five. Mm-hmm. Or maybe issue six. Um, and everything after that is is amazing filler. And also... Hilarious bits where it's like But we're not Nazis Like the self-consciousness of that series About Hydra are the fascists It's okay to like Mm -hmm. It's staggering It's Mm -hmm. a point where you have a scene Which is literally Hydra Deciding whether they're going to side with Hitler So you have characters go Oh but Hitler's a Nazi (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's It's Staggeringly clumsy it's mm-hmm. staggeringly clumsy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I say Steve, Captain America, Steve Rogers, you're a bad book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what was good? A Marvel book that I've caught up on that I, I actually love. Mm. All new, all new Wolverine. Oh really? Which I admit, I read all new Wolverine purely because I saw Logan, <laughs> and I was in the mood for for more X twenty three.
0: Wow. Well, I'm I'm seeing that tomorrow, by the way. So no spoilers on that, if you don't
1: mind. I I I won't spoil it, but I will say this: I liked it infinitely more than I was expecting.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: I really like. I got verklempt at that film. Mm. I I was not expecting to, because I am a heartless, cynical bastard. But also, it's a fucking Wolverine film. Yeah. Right. Like, sure, everyone loves it, and it's you know it's meant to be a meditation on. You know, man's and humanity to man and mortality, but it's also Hugh Jackman, right? Uh But no, I, I, I was, I was genuinely, you know, I, it was. It's a good film, Jeff. That, <laughs> like it's not even like it's a good Wolverine film. It's actually a good film. No, that's
0: what I keep hearing from everyone. And with that same, like, no, 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 wait, wait, I really have to spell this out because this is shocking. <laughs> So,
1: yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of yeah. looking forward to seeing it, it for that. reason. It's funny. because I, So I saw this week and I pretty much went in and this might be how you're feeling. So I've well, been like, yeah, I know people like it, but still. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, Even it, the it, fact it, that you are, I'm like, oh, Graham, you
1: know, like I'm like, OK, I you're like, you know, it's like a movie in film. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, but it's it's and it's the bits that I didn't expect to get me that got me, if that makes sense. Interesting. Like, we'll talk about it when you've seen it. Yes. But there are two particular scenes. Uh, and one scene especially, I had a really different reaction to everyone else in the audience. Hmm. Because they took it as a moment of comedy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, this is the most heartbreaking thing in the entire fucking film. Wow. Okay. Alright. So yeah, I, I, like I, I ne- next week we'll have to talk about it. We will. Next week we will we will talk Logan. So, but you said you've been catching up on Wolverine is Mm -hmm. is great, and I I like I kind of knew I picked up the earlier issues in Marvel Unlimited, and it's Tom Taylor who I have a lot of time for. I think is a really good Mm ride. But it's it's funny. I think is the thing I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Midway through the run, there's a Squirrel Girl cameo because of course there is, Uh, and she shows up and recruits. Laura, by giving her an actual Wolverine who is called Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) And Jonathan then stays in the book. (laughs) 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 The actual Wolverine then sticks around the book. Wow. Uh, And there's just something about that. Like, that level of of attitude for the comic, you know? Mm -hmm. Or there's... That's immediately followed by a team-up with Old Man Logan where the gimmick is... There's a, a MacGuffin, basically, mm-hmm. that everyone's going after and it's a box and when you open the box, something bad happens and who knows what bad. What the bad thing is because you only see them go, oh no, and look off panel and something bad happens and they disappear.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you have to build up for an issue in the, the last issue, like the end of the first issue is like, I know man Logan was sent after it and he's disappeared, that's why we need to come to you, young Wolverine. And the next issue is like, do you know what it is? It's its fin Fang Foom's uh, pheromone. And so he just shows up and eats them. <laughs> right? Which is so hilarious, because before that, they're built up as like, oh, it's a demon. <laughs> like, no, it's fucking Fang Foom. <laughs> <laughs> and he's eating people. <laughs> 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 Laura jumps into Fang Foom's mouth, climbs down his throat, gets Wolverine, who's still there, and just carries him out his mouth again. <laughs> Interesting.
0: I, um... Uh, hmm. It...
1: But again, you don't expect that it to be a funny comic, right? Right. right. And so when it is, it's somehow funnier. Mm-hmm. When, when when he's like, you know, this is this is what this Wolverine comic is now. Mm-hmm. Wolverine is now a comic where you have fun stories and fun stories where the character herself can't quite get her head around the fact that it's happening because mm-hmm. she's very serious. Mm-hmm. Which, again, makes it even funnier. Hmm. Like, there, there's an annual which is literally she gets body swapped with Spider-Gwen mm-hmm. by accident. And they go and they find out the person who's caused it. And Spider-Gwen is like, I'm Wolverine now, so I'm going to cause trouble. Let me, like, unleash my claws. And she accidentally stabs herself in her head. <laughs> <laughs> I have Wolverine and spider Gwen's funny, Like, that's disgusting. That looks horrible. <laughs> Let me just like sort that out, and you see her like pulling the claw out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like things like that are you know funny, but also so unexpected. Right. You're just like, oh, this this book is really great. Like mm-hmm. this book is consistently surprising, and also just good. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So uh, all new Wolverine is 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 a really enjoyable comic. It's hmm. A really really enjoyable comic that I highly recommend.
0: That's that sounds great. Really does. Very interesting. Well, uh, I could pivot off that, I suppose, to, to bring up something to talk about. Or, if you have other comics that you want to tell us about, I, I want to uh, hear about them.
1: I'm trying to think what else I've read. It's, I'm not very far in, and I can't even remember the title of it. Hang on, I'm going to have to go over and look at the book. Um, Guy Delil's new book. It's called Host, yeah. It's called Hostage, Uh, and I'm really not far in, and it's very long. It's like 450 pages or something. Wow. Um, it is. It's a true story. It's a. It's about uh, a man who was uh, a a doctor to the borders, doctor who is kidnapped, Mm -hmm. and 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 held hostage, and it's. I really like Guy Jalil. I think his 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 work is like really. You know funny, he's at he Pyongyang, he's at Jerusalem, and there's right. there's a, uh an enjoyable very down to earth absurdism about mm-hmm. his work mm-hmm. where he just travels they're essentially like this is kind of nuts, you know isn't this wacky, but in a really restrained way, and hostage is not like that at all, it's just this very grim book mm-hmm. uh where he's he's showing all the same chops, that that he's he's shown in his comedy work but it's used this other uh, this other purpose. Uh I'm only I mean I'm really not that far in maybe 50 pages. Um so far I like it but it's also somewhat disorienting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am looking forward to finishing it so I can tell you basically whether you should be picking it up. But it's it's I
0: I can't remember did you like the other day? You know the the it's a horrible admission but I still haven't read anything by him. I still haven't I'll read.
1: I highly recommend the travelogues. I right. highly recommend the travelogues. Yeah, books. everybody has.
0: I think I actually found a freebie copy of Pyongyang, maybe that's like on my shelf, and I still have not, still haven't read it. So, which is the weirdest damn thing. So, um yeah, I will have to. You'll you'll have to let me know if I can check
1: it out, and then that hopefully that weirdly enough, me to I go think this might this stuff. might be more more in up my alley. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh than than the travelogue stuff so yeah i i will when i finally finish it because the other thing is it's one of these books that feels very exhausting to read Mm -hmm. not because it's a bad book but because like it's so serious and it's so intense Mm -hmm. uh even though it's it's quite restrained in terms of storytelling it's not like he's like ah hostages (laughs) but it you know there there is something very draining about it i guess Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that is one of those things where you know you get to the point where it's, you know, you're reading before you fall asleep and you're like, do I want to read fucking Steve Engelhart being wacky? Right. Or do I want to read more of this very intense book about uh, this guy who was actually kidnapped and held hostage? Wow. You know, maybe I'll read the wacky thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's one of those things I think I have to really like sit down and, and set some time apart for. Mm. But no, you pivot off to wherever you were pivoting. Oh, it wasn't so much a pivot,
0: uh, A full pivot other than just, you know, here we are, we're talking, we covered a a plethora of Marvel books. And I thought it might be interesting to talk about, as you know, because you were one of the first to respond. Al Kennedy had a great question on Twitter the other day, a little hypothetical, that was, um, you know, basically like Marvel has to go back to... Publishing the way that it published in the 60s. In, in other words, they can only publish eight titles. Uh, and which ones, what do you, what do you publish and why? So, uh, I was, you of course had your answer. I thought, I want, sort of wanted to talk about your answer and also the, at the time I was like, oh, there's a ton of stuff that we can talk about on the podcast about this. And now I'm like, I don't I don't know if I can like because, of course, it's this crazy alternate world question. Like there just isn't much – I'm like, well, if Marvel only – you know, where I'm trying to do the um-actuallys way too much. Like, um-actually, Al, if they only did eight titles, the direct marketplace would collapse and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Bullshit yeah, but – Stuff like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. But I mean – and I think this is the thing. It's an, it's an alternate world question. You get to answer it however you want. And I'm fascinated by the people who answered it uh pragmatically and the people who answered it in a, oh, here's my dream team – way and the people oh, yeah, who answered it I answered, I,
1: it smart I answered
0: pragmatically
1: yes yeah. exactly so, I, I went for essentially the movie uh, properties and Squirrel Girl so I went for Captain America, Iron Man Thor, Avengers, X-Men, Spider-Man Squirrel Girl and Guardians of the Galaxy
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, which, I, I, which I assumed looking at that like okay I'm 90% sure this is
0: Graham answering pragmatically I can't believe that he's you know actively stumping for a um Guardians of the Galaxy book as his his no. idea of the cornerstone of yeah nope
1: exactly but again it's a successful movie property so like you're publishing it comics do that you know? and Squirrel Girl gets in there basically because you need a wild card mm-hmm. and for my money Squirrel Girl is the best comics Marvel publishes
0: yes right I I think I feel the the same way so uh, let me see here I wonder. So, but if you did it the other way, the non-pragmatic approach to it, is there, is there too, is there no way for you to answer uh, that really, or? Uh,
1: you mean just like selfishly if Marvel only published a comics? Mm-hmm. Um, and do I get to like make up, do I get to like go, well this comic, but only if? Yeah, I mean, cause I
0: think that's fair. I figured that's, that would be the fun part of being able to talk about this. W- without having to restrain it to, like, you know... Okay. Uh uh, characters. Girl.
1: Uh-huh. uh Fantastic Four, written by Al Ewing. <laughs> he would choose his art team, as long as I get to say no to bad choices. Al Ewing gets some terrible artists on his books, and I don't know if it's editorial or if I just don't agree with Al's sense of art. Mm-hmm. But, like, if he was like, and it's going to be Geraldo Sandoval, I'd be like, Nope. No, right. it's not. No problem. <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you're no, you're wrong, Al. It's not going to be a Rolls of um Okay. Uh, those two... Uh, uh X-Men, if it's like Jason Aaron's Wolverine in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um... Hannah Blumner, X-Spider-Man. Yes. Um... Oh, shit. I don't know. Power Man and Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, shit, I've got, only got five and I'm kind of drying up. Like, I feel like <laughs> there should be an Avengers book. I, <laughs> I feel like there has to be an Avengers book. Well, even again... Not even, the, practically, like I just feel like a Marvel line has to have an Avengers book.
0: See, and this is one of the things that I think is really funny about People, the way people answer the question, which is why I think so many people just go for flat out jokes, cheap, cheap jokes or uncheap jokes, is it's really hard to sort of talk about what you want or what you think would be a smart choice or, um, because, well,
2: And you even start getting like, into that
1: I, realm of like, oh, Marvel has to publish this, you know? Well, but and that's it's, it's Like sort of... if you asked me about DC, it'd be much easier. But again, I'd be like, well, these are the things that DC has to have. Sure. You right. know, DC has to have a Superman book, has to have a Batman book, has to have a Justice League book, has to have a Flash book, has to have a Green Lantern book, has to have a Wonder Woman book. And right. that's what, seven books already? Right. Exactly.
0: And so the eighth one is like, you know, Showcase, where it's an anthology title right? and they bring in different exactly. characters and
1: teams. Right. But, you know, in my mind, like, DC has to have those titles. Just mm-hmm. has to. Right. Uh, and I don't have that for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel they have to have a Spider-Man book. I feel they have to have, a uh, an Avengers book. Mm-hmm. And probably they have to have an X-Men book. Right. But everything else feels up for grabs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, and, and to be fair, for me, Marvel has to have a Fantastic Four book, but that's not been the case for two years. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: I, I mean, that's it for a lot of the fans. It's it's kind of like a has to that even Marvel's like, no, not really.
1: So, yeah. But I yeah, Like, you know, I so many fans would say the same thing about Thor and Thor wasn't around for two years. Right. Right. Exactly. No? And also, I think a lot, I think Marvel and a lot of fans would be like, Marvel has to have an Iron Man book. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Marvel has to have a Captain America book. Not really. What do you have a list do you have a, i, I a, a don't I, has to have?
0: don't have a list because and this is one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is is that um you know one of the things that i, I i'm always I, I was so i had such a weird bounce against the question like just really hard for me to figure out an entry point for it because I think because of that split between the have-tos and the musts, I suppose, like when Marvel starts out, when starts out, of course, Marvel has been around for, you know, a long time and was publishing monster comics when it moves into superhero comics. And as that starts to expand, one of the things that's really interesting about the eight title limitation is, is that It's only expanding, like it doesn't need to keep coming up with as many heroes and titles and characters as it does, you know, because they literally have more ideas than they have books, right? Which is why you start getting the, the things like Tales of Suspense and you get, you get two or three titles that are literally broken into Two stories an issue, you know, two different characters, two totally different stories. So there's just this amazing sense of growth under pressure and, and to, in a way, it's weird to point to figure out like, where is it coming from? Other than apparently sales are just through the roof and they've kind of hit on this formula and they keep going at it. But weirdly enough, even though there's only Eight titles again. You get that weird like. Here's two titles in here, and there's a way in which it's sort of like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing Iron Man and Submariner? Why are you doing or you know Thor, the Hulk, and Submariner? Or why are you doing Iron Man and Captain America when you can like do just one Iron Man title? Why do you have to have both? And it's and it's one of the things that's kind of interesting to me. It's not. I'm not sure how clear cut it is in ways knowing how peripatetic, um, Kirby is and just sort of how restless he is and how much stuff is really begins amplifying and spilling out of his pen. Um, you know, it could be with Lee being, you know, just kind of like, yeah, let's keep whatever you guys want to do. And, you know, that these guys are changing pace after feeling kind of more abundant monster books. Such that you get guys like, you know, Ditko's like, oh, I'm doing Spider-Man. But I also have this Doctor Strange character that I want to do. You know, it's like you get the sense that these guys are really willing and excited to create about it. So, and then after the the publishing... um roof is removed and they get a chance to really go crazy. Marvel just undergoes so much rapid growth over a period of years, you know, really through the sixties and the seventies, they're continuing to add titles and they're adding titles in bulk. And they're, those titles are then flopping, you know, and, and being canceled out. But, But the characters are sort of sticking around as a, you know, side effect of the Marvel universe and as writers want to like throw more stuff in and you know, you get Roy Thomas who's like, I want to resurrect all this stuff from my youth, but I also want to keep moving forward and everyone's stepping in with this idea of like if I can create a character for Marvel Comics, kind of like I'm I've kind of hit the big time. Even though there's no concept apparently, or if there is, it's all like covered in the midst of time, how much they're really going to get to own the characters doesn't really seem to be much of an issue because the idea that any of the characters are going to be worth anything seems really absurdly small. All of which is to say for me, when I think of Marvel, I always think of it as essentially this fire hose, you know, even through the eighties, they're dumping all these books on the shelves to try and drive, you know, eclipse out in the nineties. They're like, selling and selling and selling and selling. And then there's the collapse for Marvel and the near implosion. But even then, you know, you're getting right back to where they are, where they're publishing. I mean, and this is sort of what I wanted to tie it into. Todd Allen had a series of columns over at the beat this week, which I don't know if you saw, but you know, where the, he,
1: the sales bonds.
0: Yeah. The sales chart things where he breaks down the tables and the fact that he points out that at one point, Marvel has Twenty nine comics that are selling between I think it was between 10 and 19,000 in sales, like twenty nine titles. That is almost four times more than than the numbers I was talking about. And so there was a weird way in which for me, I can totally sit down and I can come out with like. I can do my must... What's weird is it eight titles, you can do your... Well, they have to haves that, like you said, may or may not make it to eight, may only run to five, but you can fill up a lot of it with the have to haves, or you can come up with eight comics that are kind of like, oh, my dream team comics. But, I, but there's a very weird feeling in which there's something that Marvel has for me for such a long time, that feeling of being able to have too much you know so that i have beloved like as as you should know people talking shit about it, netflix's iron fist has been a real staple of twitter um kind of for the last two or three weeks to the point where i honestly thought the series had popped up on netflix at least a week before it actually did cuz
1: Yeah, it only came on yesterday.
0: Yeah, but people have been talking shit about it for so long. Last week I sat down and be like, okay, I'm going to watch, sit down, and see what the hubbub's all about. I was like, son of a bitch, it's not even released yet. But, you know, I've never heard, like, seriously, everyone, the Iron Fist and the phrase D-Lister has been used so much on Twitter the last couple of weeks. And part of me is like, yeah, that's absolutely factually accurate. But in my heart, I'm like, oh, you stop saying that about him, you know? <laughs> I love him. I do, and I love him. And the fact is, I have – I could fill Marvel's, you know, thing, anthology titles with D-list characters that I absolutely fucking adore. And – but – but I also have that weird thing of like, but none of them would sell. And that's where you start moving into that weird realm of have to. Or even the thing that I think sort of bothers me or kind of makes me sad about Marvel is is that there's not a lot you know, of growth there. And it's interesting. We had a reader take a, a, a whatnot, take us to task in the comments. And I, I should have researched this out and dragged up his name. But he had a really good point of us talking about the fact that we sort of chastised Marvel for not coming up with new characters and new ideas. And then essentially when they did Mosaic, we kind of like poo-pooed it and pissed all over it. And, you know, the whatnot's like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily a great book, but for a bunch of people who are talking about how Marvel should be doing more to create new titles, you're not really lending it a lot of support. And it was kind of, a to me, it was a good point. I know you're like, ah, but no. Because you're like because, and it, I think what I don't know what you're going to say, but I can uh, the Graham McMillan in my head is the, but Mosaic wasn't really a title. Mosaic wasn't really Mosaic was just something that Marvel decided that they were going to like force down everyone's throats. Oh to... no no
1: not not even that. My problem with Mosaic is sure it's it's a new character, except it's a not really because it's dead it's dead man okay. and B. It was a really bad book. I mean, it still is a really bad book. Sorry. It's still, it's still around, even though I keep forgetting that. Right. But it's, it's, it was a a very, it was a flawed book. And, and, you know, I would much rather pay attention to something like Squirrel Girl or Hellcat for that matter, or Moon Girl,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which is, you know, not necessarily new characters, but characters who are not even Mm D-listers, but being done in a way that is at least original and right or not even original, different than the norm right and interesting and feels like it has a reason to exist more than Mosaic, which honestly feels like it exists because someone at Marvel decided it should exist, if that makes sense. Well, but I don't think Mosaic actually makes an argument for its own existence in, inside the comic. Where is for myself i'm pretty
0: some of my favorite characters grow out of editorial mandate with marvel but i think the thing that again is interesting for me is is that it's it's marvel more or less throwing a lot of shit at you you know and for me it's like oh that shit all comes at you and then some of the things that stick are the things that really can stick you know what I mean like it to me so there's a lot of the out of the supernatural titles like a lot of those were launched over a relatively short period of time you know or when a lot of the science fiction stuff when they moved into kill raven and Deathlock and a whole bunch of other shit that that more or less rolled out at the same time later after the supernatural stuff they're like okay well we did monsters now we got to do science fiction you know i they didn't bother to go back and do crime or they didn't really move into romance, but you know, and then you get eras where you know from the life field Lee era where you're like Deadpool comes out of you know is one out of about a bajillion characters who has the name dead or blood in it you know um I guess I'm just for me I have that weird thing of. Marvel, part of me is like, I wish that Marvel could do things rather than take old properties and reconfigure them to work with, you know, to try and capture more of today's market, uh, which, you know, which they've done with, as you point out, with Moon Girl or Squirrel Girl or Hellcat. Um, there are times in which I find myself kind of idly wishing that they would. That the that the dam would break and there would be a way for there to be genuinely new characters and, and, and genuine, I don't genuine creators just sounds like a, a shitty way of putting it. But, you know, but people who are invested in it beyond like, Oh, I've always loved this character or I've always wanted to do a book like X, you know? And, so, so I find myself with Marvel, one of the, the secrets to those eight titles, I think in a way, was literally, they were selling, so they kept trying to figure out ways to make more and more of them, you know, when you started with those eight titles. And suddenly, turning around and turning it back to, well, but what is, what does Marvel's line have to be? Like, there's that weird feeling of, like, shouldn't it be whatever sells, you know? Or are we really in a situation where whatever sells is such a weird hybrid beast because we don't have the newsstand anymore. You know, we've got the direct well, marketplace mean, or we have bookstores slash library stuff, scholastic
1: stuff. But that, that, that is, that is essentially the heart of Al's question.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was asking, what is Marvel to you? What is the core of Marvel? Because. I, my list of, like, the must-have DC books,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think, is most people's list of the must-have DC books. And it is a much more defined thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: than than the must-have Marvel books. And I'm not sure if that's – I'm not sure why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think – it like, it's very interesting to basically ask a question of what are the eight core Marvel books and have people have s- so many different answers. Like there are ones that just cross over. Everyone seems to think there has to be Avengers. Everyone thinks, thinks there has to be X-Men. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone thinks there has to be Spider-Man. But beyond that, you really do get people being like, no, you have to have strange tales. You right. know, you have to have, uh, you have to have a supernatural book in there. Or no, you have to have Guardians of the Galaxy because you have to have a cosmic book in there. Right. You know, and it's, it's seeing the divergence is very interesting, but I think, I think you're wrestling with the question that Al is actually asking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? I have I, I, an unrelated yet related story to tell you and to tell the whatnots to bring this this <laughs> uh this to a close. Uh we've we've had a relatively focused episode, I feel we're closing it in two hours and, and I think that this is the story that everyone really wants to hear. <laughs> oh boy. Behind the scenes of comics, everyone. Jeff, I'm going to read a press release to you that went out on Friday. And then I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yes. The Black Eyed Peas debut all-new original graphic novel, Masters of the Sun, The Zombie Chronicles. Are you (laughs) (laughs) ready? Do you you need to laugh for a while? (laughs) Yes. Okay, go for it. And this is brilliant. It really ties into what we were talking about really well. New York, New York, March 17th, 2017. From the mind of seven-time Grammy Award-winning multi-platinum recording artist Will I Am, from the Black Eyed Peas comes an all-new graphic novel created with artist Damon Scott, all-new ghostwriter Marvel's hip-hop variants. Marvel Comics presents Masters of the Sun, The Zombie Chronicles. Mixing LA gang culture, b-boyism, and Egyptology, Masters of the Sun, The Zombie Chronicles fuses together the genres of music and comics. First of all, Is music a genre? Spoilers. No. (laughs) Is comics a genre? Spoilers. (laughs) Spoilers. No. No. Yeah. The media. And tells the complete tale of a retro futuristic zombie thriller mixed with action, suspense and horror unlike anything seen before. Few artists have done more to embed hip-hop in popular culture than Will I Am and the Black Eyed Peas, said Marvel editor-in-chief Axel Alonso. So we are thrilled to present this deeply personal story that speaks directly to hip-hop aficionados, comic book (laughs) fans, and the intersection of those communities. Los Angeles is under attack from an an ancient alien god sent to Earth to turn its inhabitants into zombies. With a deep love of the hip-hop culture, Zulu X and his crew go head-to-head with a nefarious ancient order to settle a score hundreds, uh thousands of years old. What happens next can only be described as the perfect blend of ancient wisdom and street smarts, all rolled into one epic adventure. The Black Eyed Peas and I have begun a new journey, said Will We've been working on this original story for years, and partnering with Marvel to bring this book to life is more than a dream come true. Bossing one of the most eclectic ensemble cast of characters, Masters of the Sun, The Zombie Chronicles, delivers a powerful social allegory in the form of a new movement this July from Will I Am, Damon Scott, and Marvel Comics. First of all, I think we can all agree this sounds like an amazing comic.
0: Seriously, I'm totally down with it. There's so much of it that sounds Uh, honestly, when you describe it, I'm like, yes, exactly. This is kind of what I'm talking about. I mean, it's the part that's sad to me is is a if you if you switched it out and it wasn't you know Will I Am, but it was like I don't know Kanye West, I'd be like totally all over this fucking thing. It sounds would you really with this plot? Would you? Yeah, uh, I was honestly, just talking about the cursed earth, Graham. That's this is uh, okay.
1: this is what anyway, this.
0: It sounds like I, crazy I, I shit, doesn't
1: a, it? I yes. have a question to ask. Right. Okay. I've just read you the press release. Yes. Who is publishing this comic? Did, wait, you didn't say Marvel. I thought you said Marvel. No, no, no. That's that's what I'm asking. It's a press release from Marvel. Right. That starts from the mind of seven-time Grammy Award-winning multi-platinum recording artist I Am. From right. the Black Eyed Peas, comes an all-new graphic novel created with artist Damon Scott, all-new ghostwriter, Marvel's hip-hop variants. Marvel Comics presents Masters of the Sun the Zombie Chronicles. Right. There's a quote from Axel Alonso. Yeah. And ends with boasting one of the most eclectic ensemble cast of characters, Masters of the Sun Zombie Chronicles delivers a powerful social allegory in a form of a new movement this July from Will. I Am, Damon Scott and Marvel Comics. Right. Jeff, who's published this comic? Right. I, it's supposed to be Marvel. It sounds like Marvel Comics, but it's not, is what you're saying. Wow. I got, after writing this story up for a Hollywood reporter, I get an email from someone at Marvel that says, thank you for the post about the Black Eyed Peas original graphic novel. FYI, I do want to make sure you have the clear definition of this. The Black Eyed Peas are creating an original graphic novel called Master of the Sun and Zombie Chronicles being distributed in Marvel Comics. It's a distribution deal. Oh, you fuck! Let's talk about this for a second. Yes. Because Marvel doesn't isn't a distributor. It's a publisher. Marvel is Marvel has a distribution company. Mm -hmm. Marvel's not a distributor. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Is this really Marvel being like, oh, we just realized this is a terrible comic and we want to distance ourselves? (laughs) Because that press release does not say at any point, by the way, we're not actually publishing this comic. If you see the fucking cover, it has the Marvel Comics logo on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Marvel is clearly publishing this comic. Right so uh, what the- Well, I write back publication. It has the Marvel logo, right? Like Black mm-hmm. IPs might be packaging it, but it's being published by Marvel, not just distributed. Is it like the icon titles? And the response is, no, it's not an icon title. Marvel is distributing it. It's a black IP story they created. Wow, is not this fucking weird?:
0: Yeah, that's pretty weird. That's pretty weird. That's insane. I forget how did the Marvel Sky Doll reprints get handled?
1: Do you remember? That was part of a uh a, an imprint of European comics.
0: Well, yeah, it was Eurocomics, like that, but that didn't
1: real comics or Eurocomics? But but it let's lit. Yeah,
0: cuz out i the, cause I'm just thinking that seems sort of weirdly anal- analogous in the sense that well, even less so, but at least it was something that was where I think Marvel was republishing them in the American publishing. marketplace, but they didn't own the Skydoll rights or whatever, right? Yeah, no,
1: no, it, it's, it's, it's owned by whoever originally did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, let's see if I can find a cover, cause I'm fairly sure. Um, the Marvel logo is on the cover. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so I'm just saying I, that I,
1: I, I, I'm, but I don't, I'm not sure Marvel ever said they weren't publishing it though. Do you see what I'm getting at? Like, it's super weird. That they're like, no, we're distributing it when they're not a distribution company. Well, yeah, but and, I mean, they've. nowhere like in that press release. Yes. You know, Axel Alonso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about how excited he is to be partnering with them to be bringing this comic out. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah.
0: But I think, and I could be entirely wrong. I assume that what happened was Marvel got in bed with the Black Eyed Peas. You know, they, they were approached by the Black IPs, either Will I uh, management people, like, you know, quote unquote, are, are paying Marvel or they approach them about like a distribution oh, and there's like a profit split. At some,
1: yeah. At some you know. point, like Black IPs were like, Marvel, would you be interested in doing this? Yes. Like we'll, like we'll work out a thing where, you know, you, you know, we pay you X number of dollars in order to publish this. Yeah. But at the same time, Marvel's putting it out. Yes. No, I agree. It's it's the strangest thing. They're like, no, we're just distributing it. If it's got your logo on the cover, you're publishing it. Well, but I –
0: yes, but I think – well, all I'm saying is it could go either way. Marvel could be like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to be, you know, associated with this piece of crap. I think it's far more likely that because of the market that you wrote it up for, it was actually read by someone in the Black Eyed Peas management company. And they were like, what the hell are you doing telling everyone that you're, you know, that you're publishing the Black Eyed Peas comic what book? I think
1: it actually, what I think it actually is... Is that I linked it to the fact that Marvel has done hip hop variants before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is another example of Marvel trying to reach the hip hop market. Yeah. And I think they're like, no, I think Marvel is like, no, 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 no. Like that's a Marvel thing and this is basically a licensing deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I. I, The other other thing is part of me thinks honestly that someone in Marvel is embarrassed about this comic. Uh, Could be. I mean, it could
0: be. It sounds ridiculous, but I mean, part of me is sort of like, eh, I don't know. I just have that thing of like, really, Marvel's going to develop a sense of shame now? I mean, you know, it's this is really any different than when they did the Kiss comic back in the seventies, or they did the
1: Alice well, it's, Cooper it's comic? Or I mean, it's not, it's not any different from when they did the George Romero comics. Right. When that was like in the last years. Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, I, I'm just sort of like, I, that's why part of me is like, maybe, maybe they did get embarrassed. I think that they are like, yes, this could be a good way for us to like, continue testing this, testing these waters in a way that is very, you know, cost effective for them uh, and makes a lot of sense. But you know, I—I I,
1: I don't I, even think it's a bad thing that they're doing it. I was just amused that I got that clarification.
0: I think it's amusing that you got that clarification. I just—I'm also part of me is like, but I'm kind of curious. I think there's a couple of different ways that it could have how, why you got that follow-up. It—I think it could happen from a number of different ways. I could totally be wrong, but it could be that that whoever read that press release was like, "Whoa, no, this seems a little more." Like Marvel's being a, this, this sounds way too like Marvel had more of a hand of it than, than they did, you know? But I, but I could be wrong. And like I said, part of me is like the really sad point for me is like, yeah, the black eyed peas and will I am. I'm not, I'm not excited by
1: that. <laughs> but, but They're the like, rest but it's of comic Yeah, I'm like. Whereas as, honestly, I got as far as like, it's, cause it's like, it's a zombie story, but it's also an alien invasion story. And uh, the only thing that can save it is hip hop by Zulu X. And I was like, oh God, this sounds like the worst, like exploitation film I- imaginable.
0: And it, and it probably will be. It probably will just be completely terrible and dull. Uh, in a way that I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, <laughs> part of me is like, I, I, I feel that, that it, if, it it's important for the african american community to have um terrible comic books that they can you know that speaks purely to that community according to the people who are creating it and or reading it i'm very much like i might check it out i will check it out and cuz you know cuz no, there I might be you, an like, offhand chance point. that will i am like totally had his mind blown when he watched holy mountain and then he had alejandro jodorowsky like you know, uh be the priest at his wedding? You know, of course not. That's Kanye West. That's why I want Kanye West to have done this.
1: But you know, here's the real reason you went, you won't check it out. It's a graphic novel. It's gonna yeah. be like forty dollars. Right. Oh God, yeah, probably. Is it a hardcover graphic novel then? I'm, I'm i actually have no idea. Uh, let's see if it says that in this in the the thing. Um da, da, da. It doesn't it says straight paperback, so no. Right, right. So it's 120 pages, at paperback. So, what, twenty-five to thirty dollars?
0: Yeah, I I feel like I feel that seems like a safe bet. Marvel was doing its original
1: hardcovers at was it twenty-five for the Starlin stuff? Yeah, I think so. I was looking over and I was like, "No way! I gave that to you. You you have that copy." (laughs) <laughs> and it was great. At least you gave it to someone who really appreciated it? it,
0: Graham. Yes. God, do we have uh, to go over this? You, uh, it's gotten to the point. <laughs> know, it's not know, enough that I you know, don't read the things that I write. It's then I tell them to you and I'm like, he is wrong. <laughs> I know, I know. No, I know. I, do no, we ever talk about I'm that?
1: i just disagreeing with you. I'm just disagreeing <laughs> with you. That's all. <laughs> okay. Well, I know you liked it. I'm just saying. I, I know. Well, that's what I'm, 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 I'm saying. saying. The right person I'm ended up saying. with it. Yeah, I am. I am the person who then got the next two at the library, so I've read the whole fucking trilogy. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been meaning to, to do that actually,
0: to get the rest of it done.
1: Ah <laughs> oh, well Graham McMillan
0: we Jeff Lesser for just a little over two hours, my friend. You know what that means.
1: I I think we had a relatively tight podcast for change. <laughs> I know, I know, right? We didn't even talk about Iron Fist, the the T V show yeah well i
0: i meant to have you did i can't imagine that you would have watched, watched more than the first episode i watched
1: the first episode just because i saw you watch the first episode oh really that is so <laughs> it's funny what i'm talking about it and that's a shitty tv show or at yeah. least that episode is appallingly bad that that first episode is appallingly bad isn't it, it i was just like holy shit if this. ever a show was designed by people who think we don't have to put any effort into this because it's a marvel show that's going to be been watched it's that first episode because yeah. there's nothing that would make you want to watch the second episode if you weren't already like, "Wow, it's leading into defenders, sure." Right. Well, I just or even the it's uh, fucking dumb. Lex- so it's fucking it's up. bad. Everyone is everyone involved seems to be a very bad actor. Well, that's. <laughs> that's- The dialogue is terrible. I mean, the dialogue is
2: really
0: bad. The dialogue's really bad. It's directed by you know John Dahl, who can actually direct. is made good at TV and some really good films. So you know, yeah, you would not because it was yeah no. The acting was atrocious. It really was. It like
1: some of those actors were the guy playing the the like the Ward. Is that his name? Yeah, Ward. The the, the son, right? He is. He is especially bad. Well, God, I thought Joy Meacham was terrible too. She kept
0: saying all of her lines exactly the same way and flaring her nostrils or doing some weird breath thing after each one, before each one of her lines. I was just like, what the fu- who did they not have time to direct these people? Cause, or are they just, this is the best they could have gotten out of them? Like, again, I thought that, uh, what's his dingle? Finn Jones? Finn Jones is, was, what, was okay, was okay in terms of like acting sort of stuff. I think he was hobbled okay. by,
1: no, I know, but I, you know, I think, I, I, think he, I think he's hobbled by a terrible script, but I also think that unless his direction was, why don't you do this like a sort of like vaguely stoned guy who's pretty amiable yeah. and every now and again will have a headache. When well, he because they, stuff.
0: because they really do want it to be, cause, cause I know what they were shooting for and they just, Failed. I mean, there's so many things that they were shooting for off uh, right off the hand, but it was, it was just shittily written. But they they wanted to be. It was that classic, like, oh, but what if we can sort of? I want you to have that ambiguity of like, maybe you really are crazy. So you need to be like
1: incredibly pleasant, but But you also need to be incredibly crazy. But you're clearly not. but you're clearly no. not crazy because the show's fucking called Iron Fist. No, like I it's don't. one of those things where it's it's really playing against the fact that you know that you know, sure, this dude's got superpowers and he's going to join the the defenders, right? Because you can't, you then don't get to be the maybe he is creepy and crazy, yeah like, no, he's he, – like, I've seen the fucking trailers. He's got a glowing fist and he can punch through walls. No, I know. Believe me. I know. That's why it was
0: a terrible – there was a lot of terrible choices. But how do I put it? The first episode is full of terrible choices. Really, so many shit choices. But I really felt that – and I could be wrong. I'm like, I feel he's trying to execute on some shitty choices. You know what I mean? Like, that I feel were being fed to him. But I mean – But I don't even know why I particularly want to protect him other than just honestly, I heard he was absolutely shitty. And of course there's all the bullshit coming out of his mouth. And when I looked at it, I'm like, you know, honestly, he's, he's, you know, at this point, he was not the worst thing in that episode. But I mean, he was far from the best, but but yeah, no, yeah, that's just it.
1: Like he, he just because he's not the worst thing in an episode filled with. It's surprisingly low quality. I mean yeah. genuinely low quality first episodes. Yeah. No uh, seriously. I I say someone who's not a fan of any of the other Marvel Netflix shows, yeah. but they at least tried. This one did not feel like it was trying. Well at all. I, I kind of
0: feel and this could be this could be completely wrong, but I feel that the the Marvel shows for the most part have have had diminishing returns for me, um, in a way. It's very much I thought the first season of Daredevil had, seemed like a real TV show and had some real quality and talent in front of the screens and behind the screens. And Jessica Jones had shit that sort of drove me crazy, but also had some stuff that was really smart and interesting and had some place to go. And this is where I start really splitting from the rest of the pack. I mean, I I thought Daredevil season two was a bag of crap, but I actually thought that that Cage was stunningly amateurish uh, for the bulk of it. Um, really, just some some really bad crap to the point where I was like, I think that they're you know I, I don't remember who I was talking with on Twitter, um, but I think we both kind of have the, our theory is is that the Defenders is going to be terrible, and in part because I feel that Marvel's TV thing is it's still this little rink podunk deal. They're just, they're having less development time. They're having less, they've got to turn these things out faster and faster on more of a production line. And it's just, it's just killing them. You know, like this stuff is not, it's not getting drafted a second time. It's even that thing where it's like, I don't remember who I was reading. I think it might've been like Dan Herman talking about, community or something where he was like, I didn't really realize until I did a show. Like the secret is in the casting. You just have to be in casting until you get the right character, uh, right cast, the right actors. And the thing that's so hard is, is that it eats up so much time. There's so many times where you just basically want to panic and pick the person that seems like they're closest enough or they'll do okay And he's like, that's where an experienced casting director saves your ass because they force you to sit in the room until you find the best person. And it's very clear looking at Iron Fist that, you know, if they chose Finn Jones for quote unquote, the, you know, he was the perfect choice to fit some very regrettable uh, prerequisites for what that entails. Everyone else looks like they were cast off a headshot and maybe a casual first read. Like everyone, like there are people in that, and in, in that show, the caliber of acting is, is not quite at the level of 90s direct to cable erotic thrillers. Like
1: <laughs> it's, you know what, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to try and defend them and I was like, no, that, like it is one of those shows where you're like, everyone is really bad in this show. Mm-hmm. Who Mm -hmm. knows? Maybe after the first episode it gets great. The fact that the end, the first episode, by going, next episode is our, maybe everything you know is wrong, and he's in a mental asylum story, is nuts to me. Yeah. You don't do that as your second episode. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything you know is wrong, but we don't know anything. We literally have just an hour of people not believing him. Ha ha! See? Double bluff! Right. (laughs) Well, and again, I just... Those scenes so
0: poorly done that the way they drag some of that out where he's like, hey, guys, it's me, Danny. Here's the moment in every other scene where I tell you something that will convince you I'm not going to even think to say anything like that for 45 minutes of the
1: episode. You know, and also like Danny Ryan comes across in the first episode as being an idiot, Mm -hmm. like genuinely being an idiot. Hey, guys, I've just shown up. I've got bare feet. I'm, right. i look like homeless dudes, but clearly I'm the guy who disappeared 15 years ago, which I know. And I, yet I expect you to just give me the company. Right. Why Why are you all surprised? Yeah. What if I break into your house? That'll make everything much better. See, what Again. if I tell you I broke into your house? Yeah, I mean,
2: uh.
0: you're <laughs>
1: Daddy
0: this is so bullshit. The scene where, just the scene where he shows up, grabs Ward car or Wendell, I don't remember which because of the names. And no, then. War- it's Ward. More and more then more Ward's like, no! And
1: jumps in the car with him. I'm like, what exactly are you in? What? Like, what? Uh, why are you in the car? Get out of my car. I'll get, I'll prove that you're crazy by getting in the car and letting you drive off with me. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> there was shit like that where I was like, what the fuck were you thinking? And again, it's just, it's one of those, that pure oh, it's horrible. It needs to, have, like, we need yeah. to have the scene. Yeah. So let's have everyone do, but all of, like, all of it is just ridiculous like that. Oh, yeah. It's, are you gonna watch anymore? Like, did you watch the first one and you were like, okay, I'm done? Uh, you, no, you I'm gonna, it? I'm
0: gonna torture myself and get at least three or four episodes in, so.
1: Cause I honestly, think. I finished the first one and I was like, I've, I've done my work. Sure. I, I think most people are like that.
0: I, if I made it to the end of both Daredevil Season 2 and Cage, which were terrible, Terrible. I can at why, least do three or four you, episodes of that. In well, all seriousness, uh, uh, honestly, we just think. Are you just like, well, I've
1: started, so I have to finish?
0: Um. So let's see. How did it, there were different things. I, honestly, the the first half of season two of Daredevil had. Well, first off, I like the first season of Daredevil. I think it had a talented cast, and there were some talented. uh there was talent all, all the way involved. Starting into season two, season two, Daredevil, the first half seemed more good than bad. I think the bad parts were really bad, but in that way of like, oh, it's a new sort of a new creative team behind the scenes. They're going to work those kinks out of the system as they go along. And then uh, what ended up happening was in the second half where when they brought in Electra, some of the stuff started getting markedly worse, not better. And that one was kind of, uh I can't remember. It was kind of like, a, oh, I'll stick this through and see if they pull it out in the end. Because as I recall, Daredevil, the first season, started strong, got shitty, and then more or less pulled off the finale. And I'm like, well, maybe they'll stick the landing. And they they fucking blew the landing. Then with Cage... I thought things really were kind of not. I was like, okay, this isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but it's bad, but I, you know, like but I can't really call it bad and then at a certain point I was like, oh Jesus, no, this is bad. Oh, this is really getting bad. And then I was like, I should just quit. And then I had a friend who's not a regular comic reader who was like, "Oh my god, that fucking finale was great." And I was like, "Okay, well, we got to see it. We've got to We've got to see it. And so uh, we pushed ourselves through and I, I'm like, I hear the finale is great. We watched the finale. I'm like, oh shit, my friend was fucking high when she watched that finale.
1: <laughs> she was high okay. as shit. So. I have to ask, what, what is the finale? Cause I bailed on season two. I actually liked season two better than like season one, but I bailed on season two, like really early three or four episodes in. No, season two of Daredevil or season, two, or yeah. the
0: finale of, Kate, so finale oh, of sorry, Cage, so yeah, yeah, okay. finale of Cage is what she told me. No, Daredevil finale, I was like, let's stick it through because they pulled it out last time and they totally did not. Uh, Cage was like, all the warning signs were there for me really early on and I was like, eh. This is not my thing or it's not going to work for me. I just can't overlook the stuff that's bad, seems glaringly bad, whereas everyone else is like, oh, but there's this and, oh, there's that. And I'm like, yeah, but this is really bad. Anyway, my friend was like, oh, the finale is going to be it's just, always oh, mind-blowing. And as I recall the finale, it's such a long time ago, and that show was so fucking tedious, was really interesting to me in that it's the closest that you get to a comic book issue that's like an all fight scene issue. It's like the, the ultimate bad guy is fighting Cage and they're literally having a fight that's knocking them through the streets of Harlem. But, but it was that weird, like, kind of like, but it's all wrong. Also, there's things that, um, as I recall, there's a real, there was just, there, the, the, the issue, the whole arc of Cage had so much, like, you know, you're gonna have to, you're just gonna have to go with me on this throughout, where it's like, oh, now the people love Cage, now the people hate Cage, now the people love Cage, now they're not sure, can they trust Cage? And it's, at every point, it's, it's, not only is it done poorly, but it's also so badly telegraphed, so, you know, it's supposed to be like these two guys sort of fighting for the soul of a community in the sense of at some point, someone compares it to like, Oh, this is like watching the, the epic fight of, you know, when, you know, slapping McGrandmaster stole so-and-so's teeth in a, out of a Harlem barber shop in like 1938 or something. And you're just like, what? No, this is literally two guys hitting one another's with cars and standing back up and hitting one another again until the one guy that you want to stop acting finally stops acting. You know what I mean? Like, and it was just, it was just, it was, it was terrible, but everyone, I don't know. I don't know what my friend was thinking because they were like, no, this really, this really told a story about a community, which is like, I'm like, really you what? So anyway, so that's why I stuck it through. Iron Fist is by far the worst of the shows right out of the gate. That is the worst first episode. It's impossible to believe that if this was made in conventional TV, if the show had gone to pilot and this was the pilot, that you would have ever anything else would have ever happened. Because it
1: is. Oh, this, it is, this would this wouldn't have even been made if this had not been Marvel.
0: Yeah. Well, sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, I don't know. I mean, you can see someone being like, "Hey, you know what?" Like. America's trying to be racist, and they love kung fu. We've got a kung fu racist. Kung fu racist. Order up a pilot. Why not? Who knows? Up is down. Black is white. It could be huge. And then they watch it, and they're like, "If, you, if you're, you're can't not pitching run, kung
1: fu racists to like folks for net season, well, see, that's then what I'm saying. That right now.
0: Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is like, I I want to say never say never, Graham, but let's look at the times we're living in. But that being said, even still, I think once Fox looked at the pilot of Kung Fu Racist, they were like, you know what? We were hoping for a higher quality for Kung Fu Racist, the, you know, something that would really live up to the Kung Fu Racist name. Where So, like, no, never, never again. We really wasted a lot of money on this one episode, and we'd be ashamed if we weren't shameless. Whereas this is like, yeah, 12 more episodes of this. Am I right? And I'm just like, oh, my God, like I you better pray to God your entire cast is turned over by by episode three, because, like, this is going to be this is going to be dire. Otherwise, by far the worst episode, by far, just terrible.
1: Uh, but, But let's wait, you know, a year and see how excited we are about Defenders. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I, I mean, that's it. I'm like, I'm not, I, see, part of me really had this thing that after Luke Cage, I was like, and the season, second season of Daredevil, I'm like, okay, I'm no longer excited for Defenders, you know? Cause I just. Were you
1: ever genuinely excited for
0: Defenders? Yeah, I think so. Well, cause I mean, again, I was season again, one. I know all that all season one of Daredevil like, it's, was it's,
1: not your jam. It's all your, but but also it's all your characters, like Power Man and Iron Fist. Yeah. And. Maybe not Jessica Jones, but Daredevil too. Like, sure. you take these guys. Yeah, I, I read all of Alias. I liked, I liked
0: Jessica Jones and Alias quite a lot. I was like, yeah, but of course Power Man and Iron Fist. I'm like, part of me is like, yeah, this is kind of my jam. And Daredevil, I can't imagine that it's going to be good, but, and then when the first season was more or less good, I'm like, holy shit, maybe this will work. And part of me is like, I can't imagine How? But part of me is like, I couldn't imagine the first season of Daredevil like not sucking crap through a straw, and yet it managed to avoid that for the most part, you know. So, so yeah, I don't know. But of course, by now I'm just like, there's no, there's no way because again, they're working too fast. They're working under such a, a limit of. Liability, and I forget, who's doing Defenders? Is it, is it Stephen Tonight? Or whoever did uh, the second Daredevil?
1: It's, doubles? it's, no, it's the people who did the second Daredevil, isn't it?
0: Is it, is it, yeah, I think so. It's Goddard, uh, not Goddard, um, Doug, uh, the uh Duffy, let's see,
1: tell me internet. Douglas, it's, uh, it's, it's Doug Petrie and Marco Ramirez. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, and... I love how it actually says, based on the Defenders by Roy Thomas and Ross Andrew, not really in that it doesn't feature any of the same characters oh, whatsoever. And let's face it, it's not gonna feature the same story. So how would much would it be it great if it did though? But
0: no, of course not. So yeah. 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 Although I'm let's, trying to think, what was that first defender's story? Was it Zimu? No. Who was it that like is, brings it's, the defenders together? Is there not like
1: demons? This. I can't even remember. <laughs> Uh, and this, this right, both of us who like the defenders, like, Fuck that first story it's only against I, I, good like, oh yeah, exactly, ever like, get
0: involved. The part that's scary is i I know that I read it somewhat recently because I feel like it was <laughs> collected in something i'm like, oh yeah, I read that recently, and i I can't remember, I mean, because there's so many fake outs, you know, oh right, because maybe that's what's throwing me off is is that um Thomas sets up the defenders with the stealth build up to the crossover, the Lovecraft cult with the ancient ones or whatever. Right. So you've got, you've got Hulk and Dr. Strange teaming up and then Dr. Strange teaming up with Submariner. And then there's another factor of that. Maybe Submariner teams up with Silver Surfer and then they, they team up to fight the world's most boring cult ever. So, which is a shame. Uh, anyway, so Graham, we managed to talk about Iron Fist and it was terrible. I'm glad
1: you watched it so we could complain <laughs> about it together. I watched it just for you. I I'm, genuinely did. I saw you tweet about it this morning and I was like, I fucking gotta watch the first episode because I know we're gonna talk about it on the podcast. And then we didn't and we were ready to wrap it up and I was like, I've gotta bring it up because I fucking watched that show just for Jeff. <laughs> Well, here we That's go. That's an hour of my life. I'm not going to get back. So I saw a, a great – uh I had to do a review roundup of it for The Hollywood Reporter. That's mm-hmm. a great point, which is someone who's like, there, is a, there are TV shows that can't even fill 40 minutes, and Iron Fist is a show that can't even fill 40 minutes that happens to take place over an hour. <laughs> and the truth, There is so much filler in that. You're yes. like, Let's see Daddy climb some steps.
0: So okay. bad. So bad. It is – it really – that – That first episode is, uh, fucking atrocious. And, and I mean, and also I really am down with, I mean, that, that is one of those things that kills me is I would have been perfectly fine with an Asian American Iron Fist. And, and sadly though, this show still would have sucked. And I think it's in a way probably to the benefit of at least now no one kind of has to pretend that it's good. Interestingly enough, when I went on Twitter and looked, um, there were a lot of people who were like, "Fuck the haters." The show was great. At, at the
1: end of, I
0: I, I saw then. that,
1: but only because I searched for. I did see Marvel, uh, a Marvel PR guy, be like, loving seeing the fans fighting back against a couple of critics. That I wanted to be like, I was just on Rotten Tomatoes yesterday, and the show had seventeen percent. So this is not something that's divided critics. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this show is less liked by critics than Batman versus Superman or Suicide Squad. Wow. Just throwing that out there.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's unfair to compare to, to compare TV shows to movies, Graham.
1: <laughs> oh God! I so you may or may not have seen, but I did. I made the uh, mistake this week of tweeting breaking Marvel releases first line of dialogue from Netflix Defender show. Oh, oh I, I saw, saw that. that. I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about that. that. Sorry. Well, here's the thing. As of right now, 989 retweets, retweets and 1,987 uh, favorites, which means that my my mentions on Twitter have been killed all week. Uh, I was so, going somewhere with that. And it's completely yes, yes. gone. Oh, Sorry, heck, please. Someone, someone mentioned. Oh shit! Where is the line? Someone did, and I did not get this for ages. Someone responded with, "So that's it, huh? we some kind of Marvels defenders." I took me forever to realize that's a Suicide Squad reference. Oh. Uh, well, I, okay, first but off, at some point, Will, Will Smith tries to get work the title of the movie into the movie by saying, "So that's it, huh, we're some kind of Suicide Squad, right. as if that's a real thing." Right, right, exactly. Uh, that yeah. that
0: being said, please, please, I interrupted you. For those who don't follow your Twitter feed, please read your tweet because it's actually hilarious.
1: I just read it.
0: I and talked I- over it though the whole time, Graham. The whole okay. time.
1: It says, breaking Marvelous' first line of dialogue from Netflix Defender show. And it's Luke Cage saying, shame that Iron Fist got killed just now, isn't it? Now we'll never get to hear his fascinating insights into race relations and class in the US. <laughs>
0: That really does get deserve to get
1: favorited and retweeted to high heaven, because that is oh, it, it, really it's like, funny. It Like, this sounds like a humble brag, but I actually hate that it did, because I'm like, you're fucking killing my mentions. I think people are talking to me now, and it's complete strangers favoriting things. Ah, that does I sound mean, like
0: a shitty humble brag, I gotta say. Well done.
1: Right? It does. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> I'm the worst.
2: Graham McMillan, Jeff.
1: yes. Jeff. I just want to tell the people out there, hey there, people. Uh, we are available on the internet. You can find show notes for this episode and every episode, asterisk, since we did the relaunch on our own website. At oh, thank One you Podcast, for saying that. That
0: has always been, I've always felt know, so it's, guilty it's always, every time you yeah, say it. It's
1: always yeah. upset you. I do know that. <laughs> um, we're also on Tumblr, WaitWhatPods.tumblr.com. We are also on Twitter at waitbotpodcast. Jeff is on Twitter solo at LazyBastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D I'm on Twitter solo at Graham M as G-R-A-E out. I can't even spell my name. As G-R-A-E-M-E-M We are also a Patreon supported podcast. Patreon people, we love you very, very much. Genuinely, Jeff's going to tell you how much right now. <laughs> That's right, Graham.
0: Patreon people, you are wonderful. You are the wind beneath our wings because you, your generous support of us makes us feel heard and appreciated. It has inspired us. The Baxter Building Podcast exists precisely and exactly because of your level of support. And uh, it just manages to... I don't know. I, it's it's a certain amount of affirmation and validation that helps keep me going. And frankly, there are times where I can turn around and spend too much money on Judge Dredd trade paperback, digital trade paperbacks, or even the occasional uh ridiculously priced issue of Amazing Spider-Man, thinking, you know what? I can afford this. Thanks to the wonderful people on Patreon, such as... The kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We are especially grateful to their ongoing support of this podcast.
1: Um, we thank you so much. Graham? I think that says everything that Missy said. Whatnots, so. We're going to be back in a week. Right, Jeff? I'm not, we're, we're back next week. I think that's, understand how that works. I think it is too. I really (laughs) am like, I don't, don't. I'm I'm so confused by this. But this, no, that's right. We are actually back next week. Uh, we will be probably less focused than we were this week because we're doing really well up until I mentioned Iron Fist. Thank you very much as always for listening. And as the great gods above once said, bye! Ah...